New summer, new you, right? Not with those old hand-me-down clothes in your closet. Yeah! Aren't you sick of dressing like a jabroni every day of your life? What? Why would you say that? Lucky for you, our summer solstice sale... Um, can we cut that? Can't afford it! Our summer solstice sale has got you covered. The biggest discounts on this year's hottest fashions. Suit jackets, 25% off all brands. Perfect for that interview you got coming up. You're hired. Dress shirts, buy one, get the other one 50% off. Two shirts. Free alterations with the purchase of any brand pants. Even Jordan and all the accessories to complete your new look. We have belts, we have hats, we have chains. Put all that together, you got quite a little outfit going on, Buster. Suit, suit. You'll be walking around the streets of LA looking like a regular cab Callaway. Our discounts cover big old hats and big old pants, whatever that timeless look is. It's a suit, suit. We sell all clothes of all styles year-round, whatever you're into. We only sell suit, suits. But I think the look I described is pretty hot stuff. Don't tell him, he thinks he's fooling. Why waste your prime years in skinny jeans when you can sport pants so tent like people will think your legs are being fumigated for termites? Get up and go, Pinocchio! A hat so big you won't even know when it's daytime. Fashion eclipse! Chains so long and so jangly you'll think you're being visited by a certain ghost on a certain holiday in a certain Dickens novel. <laughs> Marley, my old business partner? I made up for my sins in life. By buying a zoot suit! The bigger the clothes, the bigger the discount. Zoot suit! We got a type of clothing for every letter of the alphabet, from A, clothing store, to Z. Zoot suit! Spend your summer solstice in style, your one-stop shop for all types of fashion. Head over to our store, Zoot Suits and more. Zoot suits! At the intersection of Zoot Suits Avenue and Big Pants Boulevard. Zoot Hi, and hey. welcome to Ali Weekly. Hey, episode we've 66. turned up our smooth knobs <laughs> on the dial at the tens and twos at the ones and tens. Uh, <laughs> We're talking <laughs> jazz today, all the jazz you can yeah. handle from beep boop 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 to We're discussing elongated vowels. L's a vowel. Welcome to episode 66, everybody. And almost never L. Sometimes Y, and almost never, but some once. make a point. Yeah. <laughs> and on podcast L, <laughs> yeah. Welcome to episode sixty-six. Get your kicks with executive with uh, no executive order. <laughs> get your kicks ex- executing order sixty-six. Get your kicks kicks. Sixty-six <laughs> kicks. Mm. You're stupid. <laughs> you don't make any sense. You're stupid, and you've proved it sixty-six times already. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Hi, how's it going? Am I everybody to you? Yeah, how's you going? sure look like everybody. Oof. Whoa. What? what? You look generic and normal. What? Your mom is so generic and normal. You're also generic and normal. Her <laughs> jeans were so strong. And they had to be strong because she was so big. <laughs> <laughs> You're rude. Welcome to Rude 66. That could be hey. our spinoff podcast where hey. we drive down Santa Monica, Santa, Monica Santa Monica and just be rude to people. Hey, that's better than this idea. <laughs> Rude 66. Uh, what is It's June. It is June. Happy June. Happy Father's summer. Day, June gloom. Mm-hmm. Happy solstice. Solstice. Hammer, st- hammer, hammer solstice, solstice sale. <laughs> the big hammer solstice sale. <laughs> we've talked rude enough. Let's get into what, we, what we've done in the last month, Greg. Oh, Greg, okay. what have you done in the last... What did you do last month, Well, Greg? this might surprise you, but you were involved in it. No. And your fiance. I prove it. Prove and my it. girlfriend. <laughs> for my girlfriend's birthday. Who's the same person. <laughs> <laughs> we believe in a sort of threes company situation. Have you heard of a th- 
thruple. <laughs> we're a triple threat, but mostly to the, just the idea of marriage to normal society. <laughs> we're, we're a triple a threat, threat to, to conventional love. <laughs> the four of us for my girlfriend's birthday, we went to the Pacific Dining Car, which we was did. very enjoyable. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, you were okay. there. You were that long-haired that girl. Was your, you were that lady I kept hitting on in the dark. <laughs> yeah, we did. That, yeah. was, that was really nice. It, it was, was really nice. Let's describe our experience there. Okay. First of all, when you walk in, I thought it was just a dining car, like Carney's. Yeah, I thought yeah. it was going to be like, oh, this is a long, thin restaurant. Mm-hmm. But there's like extensions and rooms. Yeah, rooms and, I, and I kept side. going into different things of like, what is this a caboose? Like, is this the, the admiral's quarters? <laughs> <laughs> is this a bunk room? I don't know. How did I get here? <laughs> Where's the boiler? <laughs> we were at the bar, which mm-hmm. is kind of in the right, the back right. Yeah, when you walk know. inside and to the right, it's closer to the building, to the, the yeah. next building over. It's a nice little room there. It's very well lit. Yeah. It's very beautiful. I thought I was in a scene from The Shining for a moment <laughs> with the old waiter. <laughs> yeah, the old waiter who says he's never existed. <laughs> um, he kept telling me to teach them a lesson and I didn't know what he meant. <laughs> I have to correct somebody. <laughs> we got there really early because we thought it was going to be the same thing with Moose and Franks where yeah. we would have to split two chairs amongst four people. Yeah. But were, Which, by the way, if you're going to be watching Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or just a screenshot or the trailer, the, trailer. the spot in Musso and Franks where Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio meet Al Pacino is where we were having our time at Musso yeah, and Franks. exactly. That was our two significant yeah. others sitting in those seats while we stood over them. Like, yeah. well, how is it like to sit down? I'm washed up. I'll never know. <laughs> how long did the waiter say he's been doing it? I, I can't remember. Remember, but it was, it was in the 80s I, yeah it was a very significant amount and of he time. was in his 80s at least he was a very old man mm. who knew exactly what he was doing yeah i had a gin martini right we went to cole's beforehand to eat because we didn't want to eat at pacific dining car because it's kind of pricey mm-hmm. we just wanted to get drinks there and enjoy the bar <laughs> i went to cole's i got a gin martini and it's like in the little sifter so you get like a little bit but it's very strong we went to pacific dining car and he's like do you want it on the rocks i'm like yeah okay and he gave me like a jug like it was a full rock it was glass moonshine yeah of gin martini i'm like i shouldn't drink this much and then i had two <laughs> it was very nice it was very like and yeah. we got a surprisingly got a tour because we were staring at old pictures and yeah one and of one the of the waiters, waiters came up jimmy his, well his jimmy. name was jaime oh he called himself he, jimmy he says he, he's jimmy la that's okay. what it was jimmy he la could see me squinting and confused that his name was jaime are you <laughs> I'm saying looking jaime? At your, uh, looking at your name tag right now uh yeah <laughs> jamie that's right it was uh jimmy la that's jimmy right. la but yeah we were because we were lingering around after because i had a uh, banana uh, not a banana uh what did you fudge have? brownie sunday that's a brownie fudge hot fudge sunday i love Bra- you hot going. fudge brownie sunday brownie fudge Brownie fudge hot dog. Brownie fudge hot dogs. We're for duty. Uh, so we, I was taking pictures, yeah. and he's like, you know, that picture right there is from when we first opened. Yeah, well, and this we're right just there. Is that, yeah, and yeah. yeah, and now we're, uh, you're confused why there's so many more. <laughs> and then he's like, you guys want a tour? And he took us around to each room, yeah. and he's like, this is where they filmed Training Day. Mm-hmm. This is where I overheard Nicolas Cage get yeah. denied a hotel. At yeah, the, that's at, right. At the, this is where all the whoever was it the dream team or was it I, all I OJ's don't know, friends? I don't know who he said. Exactly, but, after, but yeah. people involved with the OJ the trial, trial were there like, after yeah, the and he, verdict or whatever. He heard things. <laughs> <laughs> he was telling us about all the different. He kept referring to Jack Black as Black Jack, and, uh, and we knew exactly who he was talking about. Yeah. We didn't. Twenty one? No. <laughs> oh yeah, Jack Black. Yeah, he was telling us about all the celebrities mm-hmm. and not just celebrities, but like the mayor, yeah, and the district attorney, and, and all these people, Hollywood people, all heroes, these, uh, villains, all these people who don't officially exist on paper, <laughs> uh, the underworld. <laughs> but yeah, he was just telling us about how entrenched that place is in LA history and it yeah. was really nice. It was and, very nice and then he told us about how there's certain times of the year where you can sign up for their membership club mm-hmm. which is free to do but they only accept a certain amount of people at certain times of the year yeah. and you if you sign up in your birthday month you get a free meal yeah. well a free, free steak and you have to pay the price of a meal for a side <laughs> that <laughs> was, was very fun. enjoyable yeah it I was, really liked it was it. A, it's part of, in our series of old LA restaurants we're going to because we couldn't think of other ones really yeah. we didn't know what the other ones were we did Musso and Frank's we did mm-hmm. Pacific Dining Car, that's it. 
There has to be We've more. We've been to Tommy's. <laughs> There's more. I'm trying to think of what they are offhand. Hey, send us your oldest LA yeah. restaurant. Yeah. Oh, the Culver Hotel. Applebee's. Me and Ada did that. We did Coles, uh, which is old. I don't consider... Old, cold? Old, uh, cold? Yeah, Coles, of course, and Philippe's. I don't consider a, hotel, a restaurant in a hotel to, to count. Though. No? What about the Biltmore store? What about the Biltmore, stupid? What, what, what about uh, the Biltmore restaurant, whatever is inside in the I, uh, but, bar? But is it the same exact restaurant that has always been there? Because the places change all the time. True, true, true. True, yeah. true, true. But yeah. It's very enjoyable. It, yeah, it was enjoyable. And, and I found street packed? parking. Yeah. It was It was really, because it was a Friday night, Yeah, wasn't and that's it? a hard area to park. So we, we tried found, to go to the Monty Bar before, which is just down the street, and I n- could never find parking around there. Yeah, but you found parking easily. Which I found was, parking very easily, which yeah. was, because you're like, no, no, Not going to happen, brother. Not ever. You better might as well take an ambulance to that hospital because <laughs> you're not going to find parking. Oh, you found parking. Can you drive me to my car? <laughs> Can you please drive me home? You want to know what I did? I guess. Hmm. I guess my life isn't of interest to you. I hope it's Pacific Dine Car because you were there too. Oh, uh-oh. Oh, uh, but in oh, a geez. different room. Oh, <laughs> yeah, we had dinner in a different room before we met you. <laughs> we're sitting far apart from each other. Yeah, I know. We're normally we're across the table from each other. Nose is a nose. Yeah. Podcasting nose to nose, which is my favorite Nat King Cole <laughs> song. But now we're on further. We're almost like we're, uh, long we're like Citizen Kane having dinner. <laughs> uh, that scene in what? <laughs> Here's what I did this yes. past month. I went to the Gibbon Conservation Center. What's that? I think it's pretty clear. Uh, Melissa had gotten me a Groupon for us to go for, I forget what, just for being a good guy. Yeah, just for having uh, long hair. <laughs> hey, you passed four inches. <laughs> First of all, where it is, it's 19100 Esguera Road in Santa Clarita. So uh-huh. it's like way, way up. It's yeah. almost towards, it's a, it's in Super Bloom territory almost. Oh, okay. They're open Saturday and Sunday, only 930 to noon. They have tours at around 10. But here's the thing. So you go there and it's, it's a gibbon conservation. Yeah. It's all these different cages with all these different types of gibbons, mm-hmm. which are an animal. Yeah. A, a, a sort of a monkey, if you will. Are you explaining gibbons to gibbons? You're, you're a type of you You are a monkey. <laughs> Act like so. Um, Go poop at me. I know please. you want to. I'm here for that kind of thing. Eat banana. Make me feel better about how evolved I am. They have all these different species. And the lady who runs it, she was giving the tour that day. And she lives there. Like she lives on the oh, premises. Wow. And she's like the world authority authority pretty much on gibbons like people from other zoos and other countries call her like our gibbons sick like what do we wow. do he stubbed his toe his hands are too big jane He's, goodall gibbon that was her name no, jane goodall i thought gibbon. it sounded familiar <laughs> jane goodall not apes gibbon <laughs> i thought it was a weird name but she's from the czech republic so i thought it was normal yeah. but so she's like the leader of the place okay. the, the leader of the, the pack. pack and the thing is there's one gibbon there's a female gibbon there who's the leader of the gibbons and she feels challenged by this woman this human woman so whenever she starts giving the tour the lead female gibbon because gibbons do these calls they're like like they do that like a three stooges yeah (laughs) oh that's why they all had those haircuts (laughs) (laughs) that's why they were dressed like house painters this was the funniest episode of gibbon conservation center (laughs) they all go to a seafood restaurant (laughs) so this the leader gibbon feels threatened by leader human woman when she starts giving the tour she's like you're not not the leader here i'm the leader so when she starts giving the tour the gibbon, gibbon the female the female gibbon starts doing her tour of noises she leads the song they call it she so she'll start going <laughs> and then all there's probably like 40 50 gibbons there then they'll all start going <laughs> And they make the crazy, I'll post a video, but they make the craziest like ray gun, like 50s ray gun noises. And that will go on for about 30 minutes and she can't 
give the tour. They say on the website, song may delay tour, because like you can't hear anything wow. over this noise. And it goes, yeah, for like I 30 minutes. That woman, when the, the song starts, she hangs her head and like, you're all getting a refund. I'm so sorry that this happened again. Gibbons! Uh, this is why you it's all live here. We can't afford to send you anywhere else because we can't. We keep giving refunds. But yeah, the, the, the song is crazy. The monkeys are really interesting yeah. and cute and they're very charismatic. They all have names. They all, I think there's a documentary coming about this wow. uh, about this place and they have a little gift shop that has these cool shirts and stuff but if you like gibbons you should go to this place get a group on or just go and pay i forget yeah. how much it is you got a shirt i stole one. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I took one off a gibbon i ripped the shirt off of a gibbon <laughs> so that you look like my you look like my build <laughs> um, you walk similar to the way i yeah, walk how about you gibbon that to me <laughs> Okay. It's <laughs> a fun place. That sounds nice. I never heard of that place before. There's a few places kind of in that area that are animal reserves that are just at way out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I'll go to all of them. <laughs> <laughs> Do a tour in a day and don't go to the zoo because who wants to park yeah, there? Build your own zoo. The zoo's easy to park at, okay? Yeah. What? It has the biggest parking lot in the city. It's adequate, I guess. But like, you go on a weekend, you're going to be parking. Where are you going to park? In the parking lot. No. <laughs> I'm parking what? In the back? I'm parking at the Autry now. Yeah. Ugh. Park at the Autry. Ugh. It's across the smallest street Ugh. in the city. Ugh. <laughs> okay yeah so that's what we did in the past month do those things go see the gibbons and then eat, eat an animal steak. that is a friend of a gibbon <laughs> gibbons only have gibbons as friends so it's june guess what we're going to be talking about something not very summary something yeah the, the, the oh, antithesis yeah it did it's the anniversary june Three. 3rd it started 1943 we're going to be talking about the zoot suit riots the sleepy the murder and sleepy lagoon and, and the, the zoot suit, the zoot riots. suit riots yeah. did the that. sleepy lagoon stuff happen in june also no it happened in august hmm. let's reschedule <laughs> the, uh, uh, we'll put, release your part in August, and yes. my part won't make sense. It never does. Um, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> a long time ago, yeah, in a city that we live in, mm-hmm. that's sometimes far away. Uh, something bad happened in yeah. this city, and we're going to talk about the Zoot Suit riots. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, unless you really know what happened, it kind of, I think because of the involvement of Zoot Suits and then the song, you kind of forget. <laughs> Yeah. how bad it was. I think people will sometimes come across pictures on the internet and be like, that looks awful. And then like nobody really sits and tries to get the whole yeah. story. This isn't this isn't like swingers. <laughs> I knew more about the Zoot Suit Rights growing up because my brother was really into that stuff. And as I got older, I didn't know that it stemmed from, it, it's related sort of to a murder that happened. I became obviously more interested in the murder than people getting stripped on the streets. Hey, spoiler. It's yeah. all awful though. One doesn't win the other one. They're both really bad. No, I think at the end of this episode, we're going to rank the greatest tragedies yeah, we'll in We'll rank Angeles it by history. tragedy. This is our new list for for uh, LAist, mm-hmm, the top yeah. 10 tragedies of Los Angeles. Number Angela. one is I can't park at the zoo. <laughs> Even though it's advertised as a lot of parking, somehow I'm struggling. That's Matt Damon's new movie. Because there's a tour... <laughs> There's so much parking. Okay, so the tour buses come. They take up like 18 parking spaces because they don't know how to park because it wasn't it was designed for tour buses. Uh, well, where's the gorilla gonna park when he comes into work for the day? With his sunglasses on. <laughs> take I'm me late. to lesser oh, monkeys. Shoot. <laughs> yeah. I was supposed to be at the Given Conserve. Let's get this started. Uh, okay. Let's stop anthropomorphizing uh, zoo animals and let's <laughs> talk about one of the greatest tragedies in Los Angeles history. Yeah, let's switch gears dramatically. Can we do that? We've never been good at that before. No, that's not something we do. We have no. one gear. We're an automatic. We are two guys. Pushing a car that broke down in the middle our, of the freeway. Our one gear is neutral. <laughs> our one gear is we have to push before we pass out. I'm going to start. You ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Okay. My sources. Oh, wait. The- let me. <laughs> Jesus. Turns out I'm not Christ. ready. We're going to save the listener questioner for the end of the episode. We're going to try again something different. All right. Now I'm ready. You got another one? 
Uh, Jesus Christ. I was worried that we were going to take this seriously and uh, nothing to worry about there. I'm ready now. Giving me a break. Um, I sunk to your level for that. Okay, I picked that two books mostly for my research. There was Murder at Sleepy Lagoon, Zoot Suits, Race and Right in Wartime LA by Eduardo Abragan Pagan and Sleepy Lagoon Murder Case, Race, Discrimination and the Mexican-American Rights by Mark Wheats. The whole ordeal. Both of our topics today starts with a birthday party. The same way the alley right... sounds fun. It doesn't go well though. The same way the alley right started with cops pulling a car over. It's a microscopic event, but the events that unfold are the tipping points for a seismic social moment that is decades in the making. So let's supply a lot of context before we get into it. I have context too. Yeah? You can jump in on mine if no, you want. No, no, no. You, you do it. No, that- my, my context is different. I'm going to tell the story from the white perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Poor sailors. I'm going to be repeating stuff that we've already talked about in other episodes. I just have to bring it up again. Los Angeles was once Mexican territory. Not news to anybody. What? How does this happen? Uh, was I sleeping? <laughs> also not news to anyone in LA. LA has always had a significantly large Mexican population. Not news to anyone. Where, from where? Where? Where, where are they? Uh, not in Puerto Ranch. <laughs> uh, during the 20 the city goes through a huge population boom which i feel like i've said once an episode for the last 10 episodes i know people were coming from all directions for different reasons some of the reasons that mexicans were heading north around this time was to escape the perils and aftermath of the mexican revolution which lasted from 1910 to 1920 then 10 years later 1931 at the beginning of the great depression president herbert hoover was thinking how can i get more americans jobs during this pressing time how can i get this brazier onto my body <laughs> <laughs> i'm not gonna lose weight i'm gonna figure a way out i'm gonna put this on and not lose weight instead of thinking of a real solution he just had a million mexicans deported this is nationwide it's not yeah, just in la this is the the, the, the re- repatriation re- yeah in los angeles sounds nice for those who don't know you could have been born in america child of an immigrant and still be deported it did not matter <laughs> not in today's world <laughs> that's a thing of the past in los angeles with our huge mexican and mexican-american population this was a massive exodus they had raids at la plaza at scare texas to get people to try to go back to mexico on their own they raided businesses and hangouts to arrest and deport people there were some major companies like ford and u.s steel and southern pacific railroad that worked along with the u.s government by telling mexicans they would be better off with their own people and they they just laid off thousands wow not even just laying them off to say yeah you're better off not yeah, with y- us you're better just not this document says uh go back to your own kind <laughs> i know that you were born in simi valley but you gotta go back home so ancestral Me- home <laughs> back to africa <laughs> mexicans and mexican americans were scapegoats in the night great depression and getting rid of them was done to satisfy unemployed americans i'm glad that is not the situation anymore there's so many things in this like i can't believe that's how it was like in the 40s <laughs> <laughs> what's this 2040 like i was saying this was not about illegal immigration this is about skin color it didn't matter if you're born here yeah, or there it's just like yeah. we need jobs for White people. Our story takes place in the 40s, right after we entered World War II, so nationalism was being hammered into every aspect of American life. But not American isn't a country made up of several people mm-hmm. of different ethnic descents, just white people. Mm-hmm. White, mostly white families. You know, American as white. Now, I'm not going to be hypocritical and say, how dare a white American scapegoat and stereotype Mexicans? That's wrong. All white people do that. I don't like to, and I'm not going to do yeah, that. Yeah, I was trying to avoid that too of like, well, it was the whites versus the Mexicans. Yeah, but like, no, mm, not really. Not, not. Most of them. <laughs> yep. <laughs> a large percentage. Definitely 60-40. But the fact of the matter is that during the 40s, when everyone was being American rah-rah, their idea of Americans was white families 
again, not news to anybody. Anyways, around that same time, very close, in fact, to the events of the story, the Bracero program is initiated. Right. That was the guest worker program where Mexican men under contract could come live in America to work on short-term, mostly agricultural jobs that Americans didn't want now that there was a vicious war it created industrial mm-hmm. jobs for them. Oh, and speaking of the war and the reasons that we went into it. What war? Uh, Wait a minute. The one, Did I sleep through this one no. again? <laughs> the one with Germany, but that could be two. <laughs> the future war with Germany? <laughs> World War Five. <laughs> They're going to skip right to X. World, World War X. It just sounds sexier. <laughs> Pearl Harbor was attacked in December of 1941, and almost immediately the Japanese population in Los Angeles mm-hmm. was in trouble. By the way, if you don't like Greg's uh, recap of all this, stay tuned for about 40 minutes from now when I'm going to say the same exact thing. Mine's just cooler. This is uh, a little more street. Can you drop a beat behind? Talking? <laughs> with Japan working with the Nazis, all Japanese and Japanese Americans were looked at suspiciously. After all, the following year, Lucille Ball's feelings led the government to a Japanese covert Japanese radio station yeah. run by spies. That's not. F- Fillings, not feelings. Fillings. Fillings. Fillings, like her teeth. These fillings. Uh, filling feels friendly <laughs> fire. Friendly fire. Okay, I'm warmed up. Friendly fire. White at... flight. Friendly <laughs> white flight, fire. White flight. But of course, not every Japanese and Japanese-American Los Angeles were spies or even aligned with a nation of Japan other than just through ethnicity, which makes the next move pretty brutal. As we've covered before, February of 1942, FDR signs Executive Order 9066, which is this episode, sending <laughs> 120,000 Japanese-Americans to internment camps, another unconstitutional act yeah done and also US. to uh, the santa anita current home of horse death yeah <laughs> and so begins the santa anita horse curse <laughs> took a long time to get going they set the date wrong they got the a.m. p.m. <laughs> all horses are gonna die you watch in like <laughs> yeah. 70 years it didn't matter how much you loved america or how hard you worked to make a home in this city and country you were a spy you were japanese therefore you supported japan your small children who were born here and couldn't point yeah. to japan on a map yeah. they're the enemy too who don't know they're japanese yeah, they support exactly. japan <laughs> i just saw us from San Pedro. Like, what? <laughs> Therefore, you have no rights. Enjoy the Santa Anita racetrack. Enjoy Mazinar. To all this, of course, Ellie Meekly says harumph. So the tune in the air of Los Angeles at the time was, anyone who isn't a white family is a national threat, which mm. sounds a little like the people we were fighting in World War II, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Scapegoats, racial stereotypes, that was the order of the day in Los Angeles. What Harry Chandler and many other people considered to be the great white spot of America. Mm. That's the order of the day. Yeah. So now the let's... White paradise or whatever they exactly. called it. Exactly. Uh, great white spot. I just said it right now. I think now, they called it the white listening. paradise. No, mm. Wait, what'd they uh, call it? What, no, what, what they call it? So now let's get to Zoot Suits. Uh, I'm sure you're going to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, but it's good to... It's good, it's good to good reiterate to, it's good to hear the same them. episode. Yeah, it's good to hear over and over again what a Zoot Suit is. <laughs> in the intro, in your part of the episode, <laughs> and in my part of the episode. <laughs> just tell us which one is the best description. Yeah. We'll have a poll and you'll probably say the intro and we'll be like, you weren't listening. You don't know what it is. We saw that you only listen to three minutes youtube told me oh by the way yeah we can tell when you stop listening anyways mom um to sum it up really simply we know when you're not listening. listening to sum it up really simply and carelessly zoot suits were flashy suits uh-huh. normal dorks wore gray flannel suits the young jazz loving hipsters they wore zoot suits which were then and kind of now let's hear it seen as cartoonish and exaggerated yeah if you think that you've never seen one before and you need a visual understanding or reference point think cab calloway think the yellow zoot suit jim carrey sports in the mask uh-huh. think the two out of the five better dressed weasels in who framed roger <laughs> rabbit think the 1944 tom and jerry short called zoot cat uh-huh. it's, <laughs> of all it, those things that's, that's my, the one everyone my, my brother mondo that was his favorite if he can do screenshots at the time he would have done screenshots of that <laughs> he was drawing yeah he was, he was just tracing his tv <laughs> just tracing his tv tom and look the at the screenshot i made <laughs> screen sketch that's another warm-up screen sketch screen Screen sketch sketch. screen sketch the villain in Incredibles 2 screen sketch we saw a baby the other day that looked like Jack Jack by the way did you suddenly like Incredibles 2 
Uh, no, I shook him to see if he was going, if he was sh- going <laughs> to mad. flames. Yeah. Get mad. Turn into jelly. Get mad. Huge balloon <laughs> pants that tighten in the ankle. Boonie. Uh, boonie. I put boots shiny. So obviously boot, shiny boot dress shiny. shoes, hats with a huge brim, shirts with a huge collar, suspenders, normal size, and a long chain for your pants. And it looks really you cool when mess you around twirl it. You can't mess around with suspenders. No, it, it, any alteration to a suspenders and your pants are going to fall down, which is a new look. My favorite <laughs> suspenders are the ones that hold a barrel over your body. I'll tolerate all this, but I will not have saggy pants. <laughs> you had a long chain it looked really cool when you twirled it and you mm-hmm. had a big long drape coat to top it all off the look could also include for ladies yeah. and gents a well-groomed but giant pompadour yeah looked pretty cool but also it wasn't just the pompadour there was a ducktail oh the, the ducktail yeah. yeah what do they Woo-hoo. call it Zoot suits grew out of the drape suits that were popular in Harlem dance halls through the mid-30s. The big pants that were tapered to the ankles, that was to prevent jitterbuggers from getting tripped up while they were dancing. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And by the 40s, drape suits had evolved into zoot suits, and they were worn by young people from working-class neighborhoods, predominantly Mexican-Americans and African-Americans. The style was then and is now what I call extreme dapper. (laughs) Like, I don't want to just look neat. Exaggerate dapper. Exaggerate dapper is a perfect way to put it. I don't want to just look neat. I want to look like the best thing you've ever seen, like classy and flashy, and it has associations with jazz and resistance and even before the events that we're going to talk about later and also the uh, reiteration of all this we're going to talk yeah, about well, later I'll, I'll give you another description <laughs> better worded the zoot suit was fashion I won't say boonie like Greg did <laughs> boot shine boonie was better than boot shiny which was what boot written shiny. on my paper <laughs> jacket uh, big boot shiny <laughs> <laughs> arm sweaty knees weak palm sweaty the zoot suit was fashioned as rebellion how so well in a couple ways first in 1942 as we all know on this podcast everything was turned into bullets <laughs> the wartime production board wanted I also have that joke later <laughs> Jesus Christ it's a joke that we we try to make every episode. Oh, the 40s? What was turned into bullets now? Well, you'll hear. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in later. The Wartime Productions Board wanted to cut back on fabric consumption, so fabric was being rationed, limiting the amount of fabric used for suits. What would you say it was being turned into? <laughs> uh, munitions? We need those pointy collars to, <laughs> to get through panzers. We need these boot shinies to take down tanks. <laughs> General Patton, we need a boonie strike. I refuse. We simply cannot. There was a big sock hop the other night. <laughs> the boys needed it. They're turning bullets into suits that's our new thing is a parody within <laughs> yeah. a parody shoot suits as they wanted them to be oh for the war for the effort. war effort shoot 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 shoot, 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 shoot suits. suits um all right i'm warmed up they would not ration their suits and they would get their suits through bootleg tailors which was my two favorite word combination now <laughs> bootleg <laughs> tailors but you can say it but better so there's a ration band and you're wearing an exaggerant suit that's how wearing a suit, suit yeah, you're wearing a- rations yeah you're wearing <laughs> rations so therefore you're not a patriot this is an unpatriotic <laughs> yeah. act that you're doing uh, we decided to start making the suits out of of meals ready to eat <laughs> we didn't have enough wool so we're making we're, suits out of space ice cream now yeah oh did you guys want that they turned uh, water yeah. in michigan into suits yeah that'd be kind of cool like those um those shoes that had like a, a goldfish in them but like a suit jacket that was clear but was filled with water so there's like water oh yeah so you're wearing uh, yeah, an suit. Yeah, well, sailors gonna beat them up too, or would they like them because yeah. of the water? <laughs> they can't. Try punching that. I dare you to try. Punch I dare water. you. Oh, no, I'm leaking. <laughs> oh no, you're leaking the water all over the place. I'm dying. <laughs> My clear um, blood. So the rations. That can be one way that fashion was rebellion. But there was fashion ration. Fashion rations. But there was there was another reason. And what truly made suit suitors truly rebellious was their pride. The suits are not subtle. They demand attention this very act went against the stereotype of the mexican in los angeles really against any non-white ethnic group in los angeles the thought was if you weren't a wealthy or middle class anglo you were to be meek and subservient your role in the city is to be a worker you break your back under the hot sun for nickels picking the fruits and vegetables that will keep movie stars healthy <laughs> that's your job <laughs> so the young pachucos who wore we, suits, we gotta suits. feed clark gable <laughs> and clark gable is hungry he's hungry if he doesn't find carrots to eat he's gonna hurt a woman tonight oh too late <laughs> take that clark gable again 
Again, this is your one-stop shop for Clark Gable hatred. So the young Pachucos, they wore zoot suits. These guys defied all of that. And here's another thing about it. This was a wholly American subculture. Young Latinos from the neighborhoods who were adopting this from like jazz players from the East Coast, this wasn't a thing they got from their parents. This was American-born Mexicans diving into American culture. So traditional Mexican parents disapproved as much as the stuffy Americans who thought Glenn Miller was edgy. Like both <laughs> these, like they had no backing uh, like they hadn't they only had each other yeah. for support they didn't have anyone older like yeah, you're, there was, you're there doing was, the right thing they were cut yeah there, there was no obi-wan kenobi <laughs> leading the pachucos around town there wasn't it was only young people yeah their parents disapproved american culture disapproved this was like a, a subculture all on their own mm. so these zoots these pachucos they were a youth rebellion you know and this has to be said before anything they were also just young people living in america mm-hmm. having an american life hanging out with people this american life this american life they were hanging out with like-minded people and when you're young and you're like-minded you get into trouble there's no excusing any of that but that's just american life teenagers and young macho men they suck but that's yeah. across the board yeah yeah that, that, like yeah. football players in texas are doing the same stuff yeah. they're also young men getting I, in trouble. i'd argue worse uh, <laughs> <laughs> they're not as well dressed but like it's just troublemaking like it's not you know terrorists they're, they're not al-qaeda yeah <laughs> that's what i'm trying they're not yeah. uh, the kids today on youtube it's like i'm gonna join yeah i'm gonna join okay. a terrorist organization kids trouble, these they days in their al-qaeda <laughs> will you get off your al-qaeda already what's the new one i keep forgetting the name of it uh, isis 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 uh, that's the old one at this point oh what's the a new one I don't know, crossfit <laughs> <laughs> also an old one yeah, I although i didn't find pokemon go how long have you been outside son days mom and i've had a lot of new ideas although i didn't find too many specifics what was worrying a lot of people in the city was a rise in crimes committed by mexican-american youths what they were mm-hmm. calling their very adorable term boy gangs <laughs> we gotta stop these boy gangs they're end sinks <laughs> this was around the time where gangs were starting to form but it wasn't like the way it is now where there's established yeah parts of it like you have to get a tattoo you have to get jumped in these are our, our borders these are these are, are people bible. yeah this is our bible <laughs> it wasn't there secret yet societies at this point <laughs> this was still just like groups hanging out on rec centers who uh-huh. like it, you know the people on the other side of this hill don't like us and we don't go there it was the formation of that but it wasn't quite gang culture out mm-hmm. late yet and i couldn't find too much specifics the books i was reading they kind of gave like some headlines and stuff you know there was some trouble going around but it wasn't like this vicious crime a, wave that there the was papers exaggeration there was a lot of exaggeration yeah. yeah so what i'm trying to say is if crimes from this community was on the rise it wasn't because they were mexican-american like the alec times was saying it was because they were angry and they were like just average rowdy people with friends it's the kind of thing that you grow out of but they were being demonized in the press <laughs> for this kind of thing so all of this is just background noise to an evening in august of 1942 in maywood near williams ranch which is bordered by slauson atlantic eastern and 26th i don't know where where is this in the city it's near bell maywood bell and vernon are all kind of neighbors in the square in the maywood bell area there used to be a reservoir where people in the neighborhood would hang out and it was called sleepy lagoon but the locals named after the popular jazz standard the same name Uh. i used to think that the song was named after the reservoir i yeah that's (laughs) i because i don't even think i knew there was a song but you were playing a song called sleepy lagoon before we started recording i was like oh they they put this to music (laughs) (laughs) play this to the tragedy footage sleepy lagoon is such a beautiful dreamy name but a lot of reading me too yeah it's a really cool name but a lot andy griffith it is very andy griffith meaning it should be only for white people (laughs) (laughs) sleepy lagoon sounds like a very wet twin peaks like twin peaks but swampy yeah thank you i would love to talk this stuff over the theme of twin peaks bob's theme though (laughs) it's just girls screaming it's one girl one one, girl two girls in particular yeah. <laughs> one girl and the same actress who played her cousin <laughs> sleepy lagoon is such a beautiful dreamy name but a lot of readings describe it as a water reservoir in a gravel pit which is not a good name for a jazz standard <laughs> there's a little grassy it area kind of is <laughs> glenn miller could do something with it it had a grassy area of about 60 feet of gradual slope towards a bank and there's a cement dike five feet high that ringed the reservoir and the water was deep enough to swim in so sleepy lagoon was a swimming 
gaping hole in a lover's lane type hangout place. So this was man-made or? Yeah, it was man-made. Okay. It's not like a beautiful lagoon like I yeah. thought it was. It's mostly just like a reservoir. They're like, imagine a galoon here. because A galoon. A galoon. Imagine a lagoon here because we don't live on the good side of town. <laughs> it was popular with the locals because segregated pools were a thing in 1942, but no one could stop you from hanging in by the reservoir. There's so no segregated did. lagoons. Yeah, no, there's no segregated reservoirs. This is just like industrial city stuff. And you could swim in industrial city stuff. We don't care what you guys do, says the city of LA. Sleepy Lagoon isn't there anymore, but I read the approximate location was in Maywood at 5500 Slauson Boulevard. There's another place I read that was 5400 Limburg Lane. They're about a mile and a half apart, so Sleepy Lagoon was probably around this general area, which is all industrial now. It was later replaced... Start digging. Yeah, start digging. See how wet it is down there. Ooh, evidence. (laughs) It was later replaced by a plastic factory and a government warehouse facility, and nothing remains now of Sleepy Lagoon. Anyways, August 1st, 1942. A party is being held for Eleanor Delgadio Coronado, who was turning 20 years old. The party... old for a birthday party in a lagoon. Is this a Pat Oswalt bit? <laughs> Pat Oswalt. Pat Oswalt. The party took place just up. Th- this is how we treat our idols. <laughs> <laughs> People we love and Clark Gable. Our two idols. The two biggest influences in my life. Clark Gable. Clark Gable. Clark Gable and Patton. <laughs> Patton Totswalt. I'm right, warmed up now. <laughs> yeah, you got it. I'm going to read this whole paragraph again. August 1st, 1942. Uh-huh. A party was being held for Eleanor Dalgadillo Coronado, who was turning 20 years old. The- you want to do your joke again? What is this? A Patton Oswalt <laughs> birthday party? The what was my joke? I don't remember. <laughs> the party took place just up from the road that past Sleepy Lagoon. In attendance was a young man named Jose Diaz who lived just mm. north of the Dalgadillos. Now, he was born in Durango, Mexico in 1919 at the age of four in 1923. How many people have we talked about recently, I feel like, who are, who came from Durango? Durango. <laughs> I don't know. I know somebody else came up. I yeah. can't remember who, I, though. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. This podcast empties out. As soon as I'm done researching, <laughs> it completely empties out. And I remember one tragic fact from each episode. I normally pride <laughs> myself in remembering every resident we've talked about from Durango. <laughs> this one escapes this one. me. <laughs> so, his family, 1923, they leave Durango Mexico because of the revolution, the aftermath of the revolution. They entered the U.S. as refugees and they traveled around California a bit before settling near the city of Bell in 1928 in a small bunkhouse on Williams Ranch, which is like a series of little housing units for people working in a factory nearby. He grew up in a close-knit community of Williams Ranch with many other working-class families, mostly Mexican, some Asian families. So August 1st, 1942, this was his last weekend ever, but it was also his last weekend before he was due for military service. He had mm-hmm. just been certified fit for duty and he planned to serve his country. He wasn't much of a partier, but he, and he wasn't really a drinker but this was his last week in family and friends and here's a birthday party so he's gonna drink some how yeah that's so horrible of like eh, fine fine i'll let go this yeah. time <laughs> so this last weekend he was letting loose drinking with a party so the story gets a little bit confusing when i was reading it as i wrote it it started making more sense so maybe i don't need to do this but i wrote it down anyways i split the three parties into three groups group a group b and group c just to make it easier if you have problems following like i did when i first started eleanor's party that's group a so eleanor's party is going it's going all right it's kind of slow but people start trickling around nine o'clock but around 11 o'clock a rowdy group of guys who a.m are- no, PM. Oh, oh that's, dangerous. That's late to be in a lagoon. No, no, they're or, troublemakers. 11 PM, they're troublemakers. <laughs> Around 11 PM, a rowdy group of guys who are uninvited start causing trouble when the beer runs dry and they start shaking. White or Mexican? Here's the thing. I read both. Like I read Anglos okay. by one group of people and it's then I beautiful read- beautiful that they can come together like that to ruin <laughs> to someone's ruin birthday, birthday party. <laughs> I read Anglos in one thing and another thing I read that they were Mexican okay. or at least Latino, but I, I can't get a good hold because we don't groupie. <laughs> Group B. The boys from Downey. I hate Group B. I hate Group B. <laughs> group B is the guys from Downey. So the, these uh. guys from Downey, <laughs> they are forcibly removed from the party and they are not taking it well. And they are promising to come back and fight. Did they know them or they just saw they kind a party? Of, they kind of knew each other. They, 
see here's something i'll get to a little bit later and i'll reveal it now all the parties because they grew up in such a close proximity they kind of crossed each other's paths a lot because they all a lot of people worked in the packing plant they all went to similar high schools so you cross paths but you mm. didn't necessarily hang out with everybody everybody had their cliques so they might have passed each other there might have been a couple people in group b that knew people from group a but they were wholly uninvited <laughs> around the same time a group of friends from 38th street neighborhood which is about five miles west they pull off bandini boulevard and onto williams ranch to go to sleepy lagoon it's henry lee us and his girlfriend Dora Baca. They're both from 38th Street and they were already there with their friend Bobby Dallas. This is group C. Bobby Dallas? Bobby T-E-L-L-E-S. Dallas. Oh, okay. This is group C. So this group is about a quarter... Well, where's Bobby Dallas? <laughs> He's fine. <laughs> where in the world is Bobby Dallas? I need to know right now where Bobby Dallas is, which is a great name. It's um, a pretty good name so, for a newscaster. <laughs> Bobby Dallas Reigns. So Henry and Dora and Bobby, they're already at Sleepy Lagoon. And then like another, I think like 10 people all together now hanging out at Sleepy Lagoon from 38th Street neighborhood. They're about... So the, the party's a little away from Sleepy Yeah, yeah. It's about a mile, a quarter of a mile, or a, no, a mile and a quarter away. That better be accurate. <laughs> uh, we can take steps. Oh, no. Sorry. Quarter of a mile. I got it right. The group is about a quarter of a mile away. Now I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> I don't know where I am in this story. They're, the group Sleepy Lagoon is about a quarter of a mile away from the party. Group A and Group C are detached okay. by that. Okay. So they Group C is there by the lake. Mm-hmm. And they're all kind of hanging out by their cars still. And at this point, a group of three guys in a Model A Ford come driving by and they start talking. Better not be a Group D. <laughs> they start talking S word to Group C. For, For what group are they? I believe that they're part of Group B. It's never okay. confirmed, but I'll get into it. I'll get into it. I assume, and some other people assume, that this is an offshoot of Group A, this car here with the three guys. What? You mean Group B? Group B. You said A. Oh, sorry, 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 sorry. I read Model A. I'm glad you labeled them all to make this less confusing. <laughs> sorry. So the boys from Downey, Group B, I believe this car, the Model Model A Ford. I know. Okay, I know. You're kidding me. It's a Model A Ford. That's the type of car it is. <laughs> Uh, Wait, so who's group T? <laughs> From what everyone thinks, a part of group B detaches and they cross group C at the lake. In their Model A. In their Model A. and <laughs> their Model C. Now, they start exchanging words and the words aren't good. Were they B words? They were B words, yeah. <laughs> they were S words and B words. Henry Levas, he starts talking back and it goes back and forth. And the guys possibly from group B, they drive off and, you know, the, whatever, it doesn't really matter. So group C, they start spreading out over the lagoon to be kind of separate. You know, Henry wants to be with his girlfriend. These guys want to hang out over here and they kind of spread out. Around 30 minutes later, Henry and Dora are attacked by about 16 young guys, possibly group B. Or if it's not group B, then the guys from yeah. in that car that drove by. Anyways, those guys came back. About 16 guys beating up on Henry kind of shoving Dora around. His friends from the neighborhood, they rush to his aid, but all it does is spread 16 guys amongst the 10 people from Group C. So now the entire group of friends is getting beat on. And when they leave, Henry was able to identify some of those guys as they're from Downey. These guys are from Downey. And so possibly the, Downey the same, boys. the Downey boys, AKA possibly. Yeah. Drivers of Model A. Yeah, which is <laughs> Father Group of B. Mr. T. <laughs> so now the group of friends from Group C, after suffered a tremendous defeat, they went back to Los Amigos Club and they kind of sold that's kind of their hangout spot. And they were just, they, they didn't like what happened. They knew they couldn't let that something like that go. They were attacked as a group. And they knew that they would have to retaliate with a larger group. So soon enough, about six cars full of friends from 38th Street, they were rounded up at Los Amigos Club with the purpose of going back to Sleepy Lagoon to confront to defend group c they were group c and they're gonna go back to where they got beat up because they thought they were they were growing their yeah they're yeah they're they're getting more people around and be like well they beat us up there's 16 guys let's bring 30 guys back so it's group c plus now c plus group c is growing (laughs) so we're gonna go back to beat up the guys from seven eight nine 
Thank you. Yeah. I get it. I finally get it. <laughs> uh, I was listening to an old episode and you broke a story up just to get that joke in before. And I'm glad that it's happening again. I'm glad I've grown. Yeah, you've grown. Uh, <laughs> so they go back to Williams Ranch. It's about 1230 now. So they return to Sleeping Lagoon. But of course, it's empty. Why would those guys be there? Mm-hmm. Ruby is gone. They could have at that moment just called it and went home defeated but someone said i hear a party going on about maybe a quarter of about a mile, a quarter to mile, a mile away. and a quarter away maybe that's the boys from downey maybe they're up there uh, party maybe no. that's they cross our path so here now, i was thinking group c were the good guys they weren't because they already okay anyways they got kicked out what they heard was group a that Delgadillo party so three cars from group c they head over to group a it's not the entire group it's not all 30 people it's three cars so it's probably like i think eight to 12 people go over to group a at this point the party is winding down a lot of people have already left by 1 a.m. and many people including jose diaz they're on their way out he was actually about 10 minutes they said out of the party when the guys from 38th street pull up looking tough and holding sticks ready to fight and some girls were dancing on the patio some guys were out smoking cigarettes and drinking and henry led the group asking where the guys from townie were and the people who were at the party had no idea what they were talking about because they they weren't relating to the people that got out of the party the mm-hmm. same people that they had no idea what was happening this, these three cars full of tough guys come up so they don't know what's going on so one of the guys at the party he was shielding his girlfriend and he looked a lot like one of the guys who attacked them at the reservoir he wasn't but he looked a lot like him and that was good enough so henry attacked that guy in the party and the guys from 38th street they all start brawling for several brutal minutes they're all fighting each other for someone shouted the cops were coming and they all split which wasn't true it was just a way to break up the mm-hmm. fight the people at eleanor dalgadillo's party they were beaten and they bloody but everyone was alive at the end of the fight and the group from 38th street they returned to los amigos club and they were somber like they didn't like what happened either they wanted to get back at the guys who beat them up and they knew that it wasn't it but it happened anyway they weren't <laughs> satisfied so back at uh, the Delgadillo's house they began to assess how bad the fight was because it was spread out farther than just the patio and that's when they found Jose Diaz face up pockets turned out of its pants beaten and stabbed struggling to breathe just north of the small pond near the reservoir about three houses down what was your question how'd this happen nobody really knows i'll get into speculation near the end of my thing how far away was he from he was about three houses down he was a little bit closer to the lagoon so a lot of things maybe like three things could have happened two things are really probable so the ambulance was called and his brother rode with him to the hospital but he died there at the hospital maybe like an hour or two after they were admitted him he had a cerebral concussion and he'd been stabbed in his diaphragm and his breastbone he had a large swelling above his nose and he was still bleeding inside his left ear one of his fingers was broken there was no clear understanding of where Diaz was during the fight, but some people said that they saw him leaving with two guests several minutes, up to like 10 minutes before the arrival of the Ray Street gang. There was also speculation that maybe like he passed out because he was drunk and maybe it was abandoned. He fell but on a knife. He fell on a knife. Some people like, oh, maybe he got hit by a car, but that doesn't really make a lot of sense uh, no, either. Cars don't, unless, don't, unless it was a model knife no. and it had a knife sticking out. Oh yeah, I have a knife at the bottom of my car. <laughs> His pockets turned out as the big thing around that. From what I understand, some people who were attacked at the Dalgadillo party had yeah. suffered small knife wounds too, so it's pretty mm-hmm. evident that he was stopping his way out roughed up but the it, details are always going to be a mystery i mean if your pockets are turned out you think someone was looking for something in exactly your pockets. but is that do you get beat up and then someone as an afterthought is like oh let's see if he has any pockets or do they i mean it could be you know it could be in, both in video games once you've you know killed an enemy <laughs> you loot their body in sonic when you hit a bad guy you get the coins yeah. it's not why i hit the bad guy but i did get the coins <laughs> this encapsulated night is a real horror story there's two instances of uninvited guests two brutal and unexpected fights and a murder it's a real tragedy but everything that follows goes down in the racist lore of los angeles yeah i'm, t- I'm, I'm trying to see what i mean because this seems to be a 
Mexican on Mexican yeah. incident. I remember reading the thing that was like everything that happened after Sleep Lagoon couldn't be racist because the media was defending Jose Diaz, but like they never found the killer. How hard did they work on that? Like they were just looking for like see see what they do even to their own people. It was just like ridiculous. You will get it. Yeah, because I, I don't see I don't I don't really know the story that well. So so far I don't know what the aftermath of this yeah, is. Yeah, we'll get into all of it. Yeah, because one I'm thing, not racist. <laughs> I just want that to be. Clear. I don't know because one thing should be said about August first and all comparing Mexican people to Sonic the Hedgehog. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. One thing should be said about August first and all the people involved. I don't think any of them identified as being Pachuco or even were wearing mm-hmm. zoot suits. Yeah. I, I remember reading the thing that like none of them. Like, I mean, yeah. maybe a couple of them, but like it wasn't like across the board a hard Pachuco gang or anything. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that. I think it was just Mexican American youth involved in a huge deadly mess, and they were synced with this larger intangible social outrage towards the Mexican youth problem that the press was fired up about. And this one moment is a catalyst for all kinds of further wrongdoing, starting, of course, with the Los Angeles Police Department. <laughs> the heroes of this episode. <laughs> <laughs> the LAPD reaction was swift and broad. On August 10th and 11th, LAPD rounded up more than 600 people, virtually all of them Mexican or Mexican-American, in what was called the Great Raid. They blockaded the main streets in Mexico. The Mexican- Great White Raid. The Great White Raid. <laughs> they blockaded the main streets in Mexican-American neighborhoods. They stopped all cars entering. The occupants of the cars were removed. They were searched. The cars were searched for weapons and contrabands. Most this of this is kind of like what happens in my story, except not as gentle. No. <laughs> well, LAPD kind of sounds nice here. Most of the 600 arrests came on charges of suspicion of assault based on almost nothing. Suspicion of robbery mm-hmm. and suspicion of auto robbery. Historically, these 600... Suspicion of you're not white. <laughs> Something's wrong. <laughs> Why are you not at work right now? <laughs> Historically, these 600 arrests try were... Try to go to work. <laughs> try to... Please, my job starts at 2 in the morning. Please let me go. Historically, these 600 arrests were really seen as a guise to just scare up the Mexican-American community. Many were taken into custody and around 400 people were immediately released. They were fingerprinted and then they were just released. Mm, gathering DNA. I can pin this on somebody. Many were taken into custody. Oh, I said that. 175 remained in custody. Gathering DNA. Oh, <laughs> 175 remained in custody on charges of possession of weapons of different kinds. Amongst the 175, 24 young men were detained for the murder of Jose Diaz. These 24 men were all guys from the 38th Street neighborhood, Group C. Under the arrest was Henry Levas and many guys from the 38th Street neighborhood, including Angel Padilla, Joseph Valenzuela, Lupe Levas, Benny Alvarez, Eugene Caprio, and Manuel Reyes. I love the name Benny. Like Benny. Uh, Benny's a good name. Well, no, that was Bobby Dallas. Bobby but Benny, Dallas. Be- Be- Benny. Benny's a good name. Benny's Be- a good name. And surprisingly, a lot of Mexican kids had that name, I feel like, yeah. in the 40s and 50s. Yeah, 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 for sure. I'm Benny Diaz. Here I am. <laughs> what do you want? What do I'm you here want? To join the mafia. I'm Benny <laughs> Diaz. Why does he have to join the mafia? Why can't he just be like a police officer? Because it sounds like an Italian name. <laughs> all Italians are mobsters. <laughs> I'm not saying all Mexicans are in the mafia. I'm saying all Italians are in the mafia. My defending of I didn't say something racist against Mexicans it was me saying I was saying something racist <laughs> against Italians. It'll give an Italian American Association another reason to hate us. Who were to the list. <laughs> a lot of people who were taken into custody, they said that they were verbally and physically abused when they were brought in for initial questioning. Confessions were coerced if they couldn't be easily obtained. Some of the boys said under questioning that they were slapped or punched by LAPD officers and one suffered a blow so hard it knocked him out of his chair. <laughs> God. Anyone who was not cooperating with the police was kept incommunicado, even from their lawyers, until the police got the information that they wanted out of them. Some of the men were booked under different names, so lawyers and family members had a harder time finding them, which bought the police more time with the suspects. Some of the women of the 38th Street who were involved in this were also arrested and questioned, but never physically harmed. But they were there were women who were also arrested for all of this brawls and stuff. The case then went on to a grand jury, which I finally had to look up the difference between a grand jury and a criminal trial, because I didn't know the difference. <laughs> grand jury helps you determine whether charges should be brought 
against a suspect while a trial jury renders a verdict guilty or not guilty at the criminal trial itself. Didn't know the difference before. Now I know. I'm glad we finally got to the bottom of that. Did you know the difference? Yeah, I don't. I don't care about. Crime. <laughs> I just committed. I don't worry about what happens to me afterwards. I'm not on that part of the part of the game. <laughs> so very quickly, the case went to a grand jury as conspiracy to commit murder, and Jose Diaz was a victim of gang violence. Basically, a young group of people were involved in what seemed to be a coordinated attack. Many of the boys in that group were minority youths with police records, and a young man was found dead after a gang departed the area. That's all that they needed. This is what they were going to get charged on. Mm-hmm. Only two jurors spoke out against many of the assumptions that were not being displayed, such as was this an act of gang violence? What constitutes a gang? Was this murder premeditated or was it manslaughter? Were they even the ones who committed the act? It's, there's no evidence. The two jurors that spoke up were Harry Braverman, who we don't know, and a woman that we spoke about on this podcast before, Charlotta Bass of the California Oh Eagle. my God. Yeah. I'm going to be talking about really? her. Really? Huh. I'll do a Charlotte Bass high five. Yeah. All right. the bastion the trial did go forward as a criminal trial with the 22 defendants in october of 1942 also a big moment in the grand jury proceedings i just kind of skipped over was when high-ranking members of the lapd and sheriff's department testified before the grand jury regarding youth gangs and violence in los angeles from mexican-american youths and it's not great many of these statements these high-ranking officials stated their belief that mexicans were predisposed to violence genetically (laughs) that mexican uh, youth gathered at rec centers and developed into clannish self-centered groups groups and refused to associate with other recreational groups. <laughs> Lieutenant Edward Ayers of the Sheriff's Department said that the main basis for this Mexican youth violence was biological and that while Americans fought with fists, Mexican Americans resorted to knives and other weapons to fight. All of this hammering it hurt more. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? All of this hammering home the idea that Mexicans were violent by nature, which mm-hmm. is of course racist mm-hmm. and not true. And for a city looking for a scapegoat, this spelled blood in the streets that's your side of the story. The parents... Oh my god, I was talking about something else. <laughs> oh no. I just had the lyrics to Zoot Suit right over and over. Five and a half pages. It's a long song, Greg. It's the in the Gata de Vida of the 80s or the 90s. The parents of the defendants then had to secure legal representation, but that was expensive. Basically, the two suspects were split amongst seven lawyers with money pulled together by the community. The trial, in many ways, was a catastrophe. The defense was made up of seven lawyers of differing skill levels and experience. They had a difficult time agreeing on strategies and would on occasion argue in front of the jury talk about a three stooges episode nah. <laughs> we had to cross-examine the witness you bozo Boink. <laughs> the judge is hitting them on the head with the gavel <laughs> order order uh, the w- hey, i'll take that order <laughs> that's the three stooges <laughs> in unison the woman defending henry Lebas, victor segovia and edward Granpi was named anna zaksek she was a hungarian born oh form- my god does she work at the gibbon conservation center this is her oh my uh, god i knew it <laughs> she was I a- knew she was way too old to be alive. <laughs> <laughs> she was a former silent film film star huh. and she has a supporting role in birth of a nation under the Uh-oh. stage name olga gray oh might not want to hire her <laughs> she would rely on her stage experience as a dramatic actress to make up for her lack what of legal she learned skills on the set of birth of a nation <laughs> she learned on the set of mr smith goes to washington they said that she was pretty good at giving impassioned speeches and stuff and like but they were all she, no one could hear what she was saying <laughs> <laughs> just mouthing the words where's this title card when the girls on 38th street took the stand they refused to speak out against the boys they were seen as uncooperative and openly questioned why they were being prosecuted as a gang when they weren't a gang. The prosecution even had a hard time establishing who the leader of the gang was because no one, none of the participants from 38th Street thought of themselves as a gang, so why would they need a leader? We didn't have a leader. We were just friends hanging out. Yeah. Despite this, they continually referred to them as a gang, and the prosecution and police centered on one guy as their leader, and that was Henry Levas. I hate the justice system. It's really bad. I am re-watching the Made in America thing about OJ, and I'm like, this is, the whole thing's broken. <laughs> yeah, it's a new, a 
annoyance I've developed of, of <laughs> people being like, well, well, this is how it is. Yeah. But no, it's not. It's, it's not. not how it is. We'll yeah. prove it. it. That's how it is. And they wonder why I think that I'm Charles Bronson from Death Wish. And they wonder why I walk the streets armed. Armed to the teeth. Armed to the teeth. Armed to the tits. Tits. I just have stuff strapped to my chest. That's what I'm trying to say. Like Herbert Hoover. <laughs> and while all of this was going on, the young men were being held in LA County Jail. They were being denied haircuts. They were not allowed to get a change of clothes during the first month of their 13-week trial. When defense attorneys objected that the messy-looking 38th Street guys looked like mobsters, uh, the judge, Judge Frick, ruled against the motion. He also ignored defense attorney objections to their courtroom's seating arrangements because instead of sitting them next to their lawyers, the defendants sat in two rows of seats facing the jury, which prevented them from consulting their attorneys during the proceedings. Also not helping, the all-white jury were allowed to go home at night. Except for Charlotte Bass, or was this a different? This was a different, this okay. was a criminal trial. She's part of the grand jury. Okay. Well, what's the difference? <laughs> I wasn't <laughs> Did listening. Did you write down the difference between the two? <laughs> also not helping, like I was saying, the all-white jury were allowed to go home and read the news of the trial, Uh-oh. as well as stories on juvenile delinquency that focused primarily Tell on your, Mexican Ask your neighbors what they think. Yeah, get <laughs> your neighbor's opinion on what they think. The guy in the Klan mask, ask him what he thinks about you know, all the this. mayor. <laughs> <laughs> so their judgments were being skewed. This was one of the most historically unfair trials mm-hmm. in, in America to date. This case, People versus Samora, named after Gus Samora, which is one of the guys. This case was the largest mass trial in California history, and mm. it was a gosh darn catastrophe. Underneath all of this, a defense campaign was being organized, though, led by Josefina Fierro... Fi- Fierro. Fierro. Guy Fieri? Yeah. Josefina Fierro with Carrie McWilliams, LaRue McCormick, and many other labor organizers and activists. The Sleepy Lagoon Defense Committee was created to make an effort to even the playing field in what seemed like a racist and unfair trial. The dream team. The dream team. They helped spread the word around the country to other activists that this trial against Mexican-Americans was going forward with no evidence against except racist speculation. And they also helped to raise funds to hire a lawyer to replace one of the seven. His name was George Shibley. He was a fiery and energetic attorney who frequently locked horns with a judge, which probably Probably in the long run was not good. <laughs> Despite all of this, the young men were found guilty. Three of the defendants were found guilty of first-degree murder, including Henry Levas. Him and two other guys were given life sentences at San Quentin. Nine were found guilty of second-degree murder and were given five to life at San Quentin. Five other defendants were convicted of assault and five were acquitted. Also reprimanded were the women involved with the night at Sleepy Lagoon. The women of 38th Street refused to testify against the gang during the trial. Due to their refusal to cooperate, they were sent to the Ventura School for Girls, <laughs> a women's reformatory without benefit of trial or jury. God. Is, that, is that a prison or is that just it was like, like a reform a, school which was like ten, a prison yeah. Henry's homework am I right <laughs> backpacks am I right Dora Baca Henry's girlfriend was among the five women sent to this reformatory also one of these girls was Lorena Encinas who had attended Eleanor's party she was from 38th street warned her later the defendants had a lot going against I don't them know, are you expecting me to oh, do it you wrote about her right <laughs> uh, the defense had a lot going against them during all of this but the foundation of this unfair trial were the array of Los Angeles newspapers damning them in calling them goons of sleepy lagoon speaking of it's kind of clever though it's not it's not the worst speaking about the wave of violence from mexican americans this kept jurors and the public against the accused after they were taken to prison the sleepy lagoon defense committee they kept at it they're trying to seek justice for these men because yes they had trespassed yes they assaulted this family but there was no evidence they had murdered jose diaz it was unjust that they would serve life sentences for something no one had admitted to and there was no evidence or eyewitnesses accounts of so committee quickly drew people from the community from the film industry and from labor unions. Alice McGrath joined the defense committee
Committee after the 30th Street men were in prison, and she took on the role of executive secretary of the organization. Every six weeks, she paid visits to the men in prison. She reviewed the progress of the committee and overall just tried to raise morale against them, telling them, like, you aren't alone. We see what's happening to you. It's not fair. We're working to help get justice for you guys. Two years passed at Sequins and the SLDC, the Civil Lagoon Defense Committee, they raised enough money to get a second trial, and the case was moved to the Second District Court of Appeals, which I did not look up what that meant. <laughs> in October of 1944, Judge Clement Nye overturned the verdicts of the case, citing the insufficient evidence and the mm-hmm. denial of the defense right to counsel and overt bias of Judge Frick in the courtroom. Their sentences were overturned, and Henry Levas and the other incarcerated men from 38th Street were released. Okay. So they're out of what prison. Year, when was this? How- 1944. So this is... Okay. So they're released from prison, and you know their lives are completely changed and stuff, but they're out of prison. Uh-huh any money i didn't read about that probably not though it's the mm. 40s why would they i was thinking about that because this guy i guess was just got released from prison mm. after 45 years uh, yeah and they gave him 1.5 million dollars that's it that's your game plan now that's your yeah because I, I was thinking like i would, I would do like two years if i yeah. could get a million dollars to be falsely in prison for two years i'd do it but 45 years and all they gave him was 1.5 million dollars yeah. yeah that's that's a real bummer you'll, all he got was a million dollars you'll be able to buy a house and then you'll have to go back to work <laughs> you shouldn't have to do that if you were falsely in prison just for 45 years just move to detroit houses are cheap there because no one wants to be there yeah well then you're then you're, you're living back in, in prison <laughs> it's a different kind of prison we love detroit we love michigan we're th- we want to expand our market (laughs) (laughs) all right you ready for this yeah then comes the deathbed confession from lorena and cenas oh no see while everyone was concentrating on henry levas there was a background character who was not even part of the 22 defendants that should have been looked at and wasn't and that was her brother louis encinas so lorena encinas and many other people from 38th street neighborhood ended up at the dalgadillo house that night invited but her brother louis wasn't he was one of the people who showed up with a group b friends that crashed the party they were the ones ordered to leave the party after being rowdy and a According to Lorena, on her deathbed, she said that he and his friends encountered a boy who just left the party and jumped him. Hmm. Lorena was questioned but refused to say anything and was taken into custody. Her silence on the matter during the trial led to her being sent to the reform school along with other women in the trial who refused to cooperate. But she figured a reform sentence for her would be better than a life sentence for her brother, the possible killer, instead of justice being served. So what she's... Did she understand that other people were also going to go to jail? Probably not. I mean, like, she saw everything that happened and still didn't say anything because yeah. that's her brother. But basically... Basically, she's saying my brother was the one with two other guys. There's a lot of problems with this, though. Mostly because Jose was seen at the party close to 1230 and was seen leaving about 15 minutes before 30 street guys pulled up and he was in the company of two men. Some people say that maybe Encinas hung around with him and two guys hung around and returned out of anger of being kicked out and they found him on the path up and said, well, let's jump this guy. But like just thinking about motives, his his pockets were outturned. This was mostly a mugging because a lot of men in the area where they worked at the Sunny Sally packing plant and the party was the day after payday so maybe someone knew that he had been paid so maybe it's somebody that had worked at the plant or they wanted it to look like a mugging exactly but like i just can't why it's a mystery to this day like maybe he was drunk and fought back and was killed because uh-huh. he was drunk maybe the mugging maybe was he had, he, maybe he had turned his pockets out yeah maybe his pocket, looking for a mint except yeah exactly maybe his pockets were turned out and he was looking for something and he got jumped on the way but uh-huh. lorraine was saying on her deathbed that her brother was the one that killed him hmm. what actually happened was always going to remain a mystery it's never going to be solved and that's the murder at sleepy lagoon okay uh but who did it? <laughs> I know that's a mystery that's never going to be solved, but like who did you it? You can tell me though. Yeah. I mean, we'll turn the microphones off. Yeah, I know. 
that's that's the guy from Pacific Dining Car who in did uh, it. James Alroy's The Big Nowhere. He supposes that Dudley Smith was the one that did it, and it was done to stir up. Which one was the, Dudley Smith again? Do you see LA Confidential? Yeah, it's the guy from Babe, the actor who plays Babe, oh, who's okay. like the, the yeah. main police Farmer chief. Hoggett. Farmer Hoggett. You think this goes up to the, all the nah, way to the top? <laughs> to Farmer Hoggett. But anyways, they're saying that he did that to stir up all the trouble that was created okay. afterwards. There's some conspiracy theories about what I'm about to talk about. Mm. Um. Well, there's one. Uh, <laughs> they think that the talking duck did it. <laughs> okay, so that's that's the climate. Racist people. But in yours, they're observing one Mexican on Mexican yeah. crime and saying, look what they're like. Look what they do. Yeah. Well, this time they're involved. <laughs> <laughs> Cherry Pop and Daddy song. Cherry Pop and Daddy song. It's time to talk about the Zoot Suit. <laughs> that's my best uh, interpretation of how the beat of that song goes. Oh, okay, yeah. I don't remember at all, and I'm glad I don't. You don't remember your favorite song oh, from the fa- 90s? Yeah, I do remember. <laughs> Walking on Sunshine. Oh, <laughs> My favorite swing revival song. Yeah. I'm walking on zoot suits. Well, that's what these people were doing. <laughs> that was the spark that yeah. lit the fuse. Now we're going to study everyone's favorite part of an explosion, the fuse. <laughs> it was a fashionable fuse. It uh, was. What a fashionable fuse. <laughs> I'm going to reiterate a little bit what it looked like and okay. what it meant. Okay. I have a little bit more to say about what it meant. Okay. Zoot suit, aka drape shapes or the drape, people would call it. Yeah. But yeah, I guess you're saying it came from drape suits, the zoot suits, but it came from Harlem. Yeah. Harlem in the 30s. I like how aggressively you said that. It came from Harlem. <laughs> okay, that's my new science fiction novel <laughs> it was the style of choice amongst young black men going through the next phase of harlem after the harlem renaissance yeah. so this was the new thing it was worn by we're here to interview you uh, you're not getting the job uh someone just walked in and i riffed you that was a good riff too he was long gone by the time you said any of that yeah time. well he felt it so it was worn by the people going to the new music clubs and soon the musicians themselves were wearing these zoot suits most yeah. notably cab calloway who called them the only totally and truly american civilian suit oh, nice. he screamed at them ah, yeah. hello god it's me cab calloway <laughs> and i'm wearing a suit <laughs> i was crazy about cab calloway for like a year yeah i remember Um, that (laughs) now and now what did they look like big white hat long coat that went to the fingertips with overly broad shoulders high-waisted pants that ballooned out and then tightened up the ankles complete with a long chain hanging down to the knees some people wore pants called ankle chokers because they were so tight at the ankles that they would need lubricant to get them on Ah. over their feet (laughs) the suits were colorful and they were usually worn with pointy shoes or um boot Boot shine boot shiny boot shiny shiny. shiny. (laughs) pompadour haircut on top ducktail on the back uh it's a great look uh, the original mullet (laughs) it started out as a black male fashion statement but there were other minorities who were going to these clubs where the people were wearing them they were getting inspired to dress the same as them so it was not only now young black men but young jewish men young italian men Mm. you know those people in the mafia (laughs) young filipino men most notably young latino men dressing in zoot suits yeah so it wasn't just one group it's easy to focus on like that was, those were Mexican people. Yeah. No, it was a lot of it was a lot of different oppressed people that were in it. Yeah. It was already a sort of uniform of young men who weren't accepted in mainstream society at the time, and that was something that played perfectly into a feeling that second generation Mexican kids in Los Angeles were dealing with yeah. at the time, like yeah. you were saying. But I'm going to say it again: they didn't quite identify or want to be part of their Mexican culture, and at the same time, they didn't quite identify or want to be part of or were allowed to be part of American culture. Yeah. So they decided to make a third culture for themselves. And these young men called themselves Pachucos and the zoot suit was their uniform mm-hmm. for a lot of people. They didn't want to be confined to the parts of town that were relegated to Latinos, but they were also being abused and humiliated by the white parts of town whenever they went there. So this new identity was a way to reclaim their dignity and create their own acceptance. We will not be other. partying in Brentwood this evening. No, Thank not you. today. Not today. <laughs> El Monte sounds just fine with me. I'm surprised that some of the areas that we're going to be talking about, like you 
you came all the way from Boyle Heights for this? <laughs> I remember hearing Jaime Hernandez talk about, because he grew up in Oxnard and he came all the way to Hollywood. I'm like, that's far. Yeah. You came yeah. all the way over here to party? <laughs> that's far. I came all the way here, here to, to party. party. So they even made up their own slang, the Pachucos. It was called Kahlo. All this was done, they were wearing zoot suits. Yeah. So a kid at the time said that the suit made him feel empowered, like he was wearing a suit of armor. So it made you feel good to right. dress like this. It's flamboyantness was also an affront to the conventional image of masculinity at the time. And it wasn't just a look for men either. There were pachucas who wore the long coats, but they had sweaters under them and dark lipstick and skirts that stopped above the knees. So that was great. That was the pachuca look. (laughs) That's a great look. (laughs) This was their form of resistance. For some people. Yeah. Others just like the way it looked. Yeah. I guarantee it. I, I would have been nervous and dressed like that. Yeah. Like, exactly. I would have been confident. You wanted to fit in because all your friends dressed yeah. like that. I, I, yeah. I, I like uh. Spitfire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I could so, kickflip. It was a ton of different types of Mexican kids dressing like this that didn't necessarily all share the same set of beliefs. They just dressed the same. Yeah. Which made what was about to happen even more horrible and yeah. confusing for a lot of people. Racial tension was running high. Mm-hmm. In Los Angeles during World War II, Executive Order Episode 9066 <laughs> sent all the Japanese people away. Did you already? say that i might have uh and the difference between a grand jury but and I a trial jury <laughs> i'll stop you less than you stopped me 789 <laughs> um, so that was february 1942 but it didn't even take an entire year before people were desperate for a new scapegoat in the city and they found it in mexican people yeah. in the 20s more immigrants were coming into the did you, uh, did you, have you heard about, you heard about Bracero? more immigrants were coming into the u.s from places where people had darker skin and mm-hmm. in 1924 congress tried to close the borders to everywhere but northern and western europe like nationwide ban yeah not even canada but <laughs> you're too white So that failed. And after decades of whitewashing and Mexican deportations in Los Angeles was now becoming noticeably more Mexican again by the 1940s. Add to that that the U.S. made a deal with Mexico during World War II to bring workers from Mexico Mm -hmm. to California, work agricultural jobs, left empty because Americans got drafted. So this created an even bigger influx of Mexicans into the area that caused a lot of white resentment. White resentment feels like the only kind of resentment. Go ahead. Greg has a lot of white resentment. Um, So it was a lot of white resentment for taking what they saw as their jobs for them, even though they were not in the country. (laughs) And now you have a job. I could do both. I could commute. I'll work both jobs. Yeah. As long as they don't get one job. Yeah. So now by the early 40s, there were some 250,000 Mexican-Americans living in Los Angeles, according to the census, who didn't know how to categorize them other than white. So they were just listed as white. In quotation. Yeah. White. There's the white people, and then there's the white people. (laughs) So a lot of misplaced resentment, a lot of paranoia of the other, and a lot of good old-fashioned white people racist created a perfectly wound racist jack-in-the-box in the the city. Wait till you hear what song that was playing. The the theme song to The Birth of a Nation. Wait till you hear what it said when it came out. And it didn't help that the newspapers were gladly feeding into people's fears. They started publishing articles saying that any Mexican person in a zoot suit was a gangster. And to Mm -hmm. be fair, the 38th Street gang was known for wearing zoot suits, but the overwhelming majority of people in zoot suits were just kids trying to fit in. It was was your Greg of the 90s. It was me wearing uh, girl skateboards. Exactly. (laughs) Girl skateboard shirts. Cargo pants. (laughs) Don't get me started on the adidas riots (laughs) surprisingly the newspapers at the time run by guys like harrison gray otis didn't see that nuance that not all mexican (laughs) people were in gangs so they kept hammering away the notion that a zoot suit equaled a criminal and created an association in people's minds between mexican people and crime that is still very much there Mm -hmm. to a lot of people today but hey who actually pays attention to the media in in late 1942 (laughs) fake news right (laughs) take news at face value what's the problem in late 1942 the thing the local papers focused on in particular was that there was a crime wave being committed by zoot suiters. There were stories of kids in zoot suits beating people up all around town, but there was very little basis in fact for most of these stories. There was crime, 
Yeah. Like you said, being committed by some kids who happen to wear zoot suits, but not any worse than kids dressed any other way. Exactly. It was just kids. Yeah. It was, uh, what's that James Dean movie? <laughs> Rebel Without a Cause. No, another one. East of Eden, Giant. There's only three. No, he did another one recently. <laughs> I don't remember. Teenage Angst. That's it's, <laughs> it's Rebel Without a Cause. That, the fact that you said no to that one, weird. I don't think he was in that one. It's the what's one that's the one with took- Salminio? <laughs> um, I can't name another Salminio movie. No, there weren't many. Uh, <laughs> there was no actual increase in crime during this crime wave. There was no no evidence yeah. of that. But almost weekly, there was another story in a newspaper about how zoot suitors were going around beating and robbing people. They were being called murderers and rapists for the last time ever in American history. Mm-hmm. The LA Times <laughs> called them game and dandies and called their suits a badge of delinquency. Wow. That's just responsible coverage responsible media coverage (laughs) headline in december 1942 there was a big article by the chief of the criminal division of the sheriff's office clem peoples in a tabloid called sensation all about the workings of the mexican gangs in the city on december 31st there was a story about how police claimed a drunken pachuco shot and killed a cop at a cafe on north main street the herald express claimed they got an anonymous tip saying that 500 pachucos were going to gather one night and kill every cop that they see (laughs) we all remember the great pachuco cop slaughter of 1942 Exited, oh, you uh, don't? Order 9066? Yeah. They all opened up their transponders <laughs> and somehow Yoda had to go first. Very few of these stories had any basis in reality at all. But it played into white people's fears and it sold papers, didn't it? it they sold papers, don't they? Yeah. It's all just harmless lies to make some money and make people feel safe. Except it wasn't. It made white people hate and fear anyone in a zoot yeah. suit and by extension, any Mexican, anyone in a Mexican suit. Yeah. A what? <laughs> People were calling the cops on kids in zoot suits who didn't get off the sidewalk when a white person oh walked by God. in Los Angeles. This was happening. Yeah, Los Angeles of the 40s. Yeah, Los Angeles, Not California. Really long ago. Earlier in 1942, things had gotten so bad that it was proposed to make a law against wearing zoot suits in Los Angeles, but it was not approved. But towards the end of that year, cops and Latinos were having clashes once a week. By spring 1943, that went up to two or three clashes every single day. On March 7th, 1943, two kids from Southgate named Valentine Valdez and Adolf Vargas were ordered by the Justice of the Peace to never wear zoot suits again or talk to anyone who does and have their ducktail haircut shaved off and they had to show up to court once a month for a haircut inspection. Wow. Did the cops have to see their papers? They were fighting the Nazis. I'm confused. Yeah, I, there's, yeah. It's so weird to have these footage of like, oh, they're cutting they're cutting these kids' hair in the middle of the street. Oh, what was going on in Germany at the time? <laughs> oh, they were cutting Jewish people's hair <laughs> off in the, in the middle of the street. So this is how crazy a fashion statement was driving people. White people were anxious because of the war and the best cops in the city were off brutalizing Nazis. So they were looking for any way to feel safe. So they yeah. had all these subpar cops. <laughs> the white people didn't feel safe. So enter the Proud Boys of the U.S. Military. My favorite part of this story is the one that makes me the saddest, but I like trauma. When the war started, L.A. was teeming with soldiers stationed nearby, and the majority of them were white from the middle of the country, and it's safe to say that almost all of them had never met a Latino person before. What they saw around L.A. was a growing population of people who didn't look like them, and in their eyes were un-American because they weren't in the military like they were. They saw these young Mexican men as draft dodgers, but the thing was, most of these kids they were seeing were too young to join the military. Mm-hmm. Over half a million Latinos fought in World War II, so right there their hatred was baseless. Just because you wore a zoot suit didn't mean you didn't want to fight for your country. Yeah. Some didn't, but many did. They were just waiting until they were old enough, and that's why they were yeah. in town. And if you're a draft dodger, it doesn't mean that you're obligated to go. It's like you're waiting for the card to come in the mail. Yeah, say, you haven't been drafted killed in yet. Germany. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait to die Come on down. Yeah. Add on top of that, like we talked about, there was the rationing of wool and silk yeah. and other clothing materials of zoot suits, of which zoot suits were using more than their fair share. 
rough. That was the, these kids, part of the deal. Yeah, these kids <laughs> were wearing huge suits made of wool and silk when wool and silk were needed to be turned into bullets. Ha 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 ha! That is so funny. That is, we should make let that me write thing. that down Let's again. Let's make that a thing. Let me ch- Let's make that a thing, huh? But wait, were the bullets turned into clothes? <laughs> there was even a Disney short in March 1943 mm-hmm. where Donald Duck is tempted to waste resources by an evil Donald Duck wearing a Donald Duck. Uh, I know Disney. He was wearing a zoot suit with a swastika bow tie. Do you know what's uh, bothersome about that? What is that? Donald was a sailor. A well, sailor yeah, wearing this a zoot is, suit. This is Donald Duck ends up uh, savagely beating Zoot Suit Donald Duck. This is not a Disney short that uh, held up very well because <laughs> this came out before. Oh, really? These events happened, yeah. Oh, so you're saying that Donald Duck inspired yeah. mass beatings the, across the city. But I've been trying to pin this on Donald Duck for years. <laughs> I'm just waiting he's for our, the, to hire the dream team. He's our Arthur Lee Allen. There were underground tailors, bootleg tailors, uh-huh. making these suits illegally. So people saw Zoot suits as unpatriotic in that sense because it was it was a waste of resources. Whatever. And nobody, nobody is going to see that as more unpatriotic than some young sailor from Ohio who wanted to go to kill Japanese people but was stuck <laughs> in LA and bored and looking for something to do yeah. or looking Getting for trouble. Trapped. Around April, May 1943, there were over 18 altercations around LA between soldiers and young men in the city that weren't even always Latino. Like soldiers were just looking for fights. A lot of the soldiers were just looking for fights. Uh, A lot of soldiers were looking for fights. A lot of soldiers (laughs) were turning to bullets. In one incident, apparently seven civilians ended up getting killed. What? There's not much about that. Yeah. It wasn't just LA either. There was also an incident around this same time in Oakland of soldiers attacking Latino and black zoot suiters. On May 10th, a group of Latino kids went to go dancing at the Aragon Ballroom in Mm -hmm. Venice, or as some local high school white kids put it, a group of Latino kids in zoot suits took over the Aragon Ballroom in Venice. Like, Eight people showed up yeah. like they're taking they it were over. salsa dancing <laughs> i wanted to do a two-step <laughs> this led to some bored sailors nearby hearing about it and coming over to kick out the zoot suitors which led to a sailor claiming he got stabbed by one of them which led to a brawl between 500 sailors and civilians and some kids in zoot suits yeah which led to the cops arresting all the kids wearing a zoot suit for their own protection mm. just two days later a fire broke out in venice that got blamed on the kids in the zoot suits even though they were in prison <laughs> so this was the climate leading up to may 31st 1940 43. A group of sailors was at 699 North Main Street, right near Olvera Street, which, right near the Italian American Museum, which loves us. <laughs> and they started harassing some Latinas and some Zoot Suit kids tried to make them stop. And a sailor named Joe Dacey Coleman ended up getting his jaw broken. Wow. It doesn't seem like things escalated much after that, but the sailors went back to the Naval Reserve Armory in Chavez Ravine, which is now the Frank Hodgkin Memorial Training Center for the fire of, department. They have a piece of the Twin Towers there. Really? Hmm? Thieves. <laughs> What'd you get that? Um, Ghouls. <laughs> stories started to circulate in the armory about this incident. And within a couple days, a frenzy was whipped up to how dare an unpatriotic Mexican kid lay a finger on a holy white American soldier. <laughs> then comes the night of June 3rd. 50 sailors were so upset about what happened to Coleman that they stormed out of the armory and headed downtown carrying with them clubs and whatever uh, else they had on hand uh, that they could use for a, a beating. Yeah. They went to the 1700 block of North Main Street, kind of near Lincoln Heights, and got into a brawl with... A According to the sailors, about 35 zoot suitors. Police showed up quickly and promptly arrested the zoot suitors and sent the sailors back to the base. You crazy kids. You, you crazy kids. You criminals. <laughs> At home, you crazy kids. Get in the car. You <laughs> there were no serious injuries, but this just riled up the sailors at the base even more. And then the story got even more exaggerated. Yeah. They got beaten unprovoked. They robbed them. How dare they? Then on the night of June 4th, 
200 sailors now took to the streets looking for anyone wearing a zoot suit and the zoot suit riot was on. These white sailors attacked any Latino kid they saw in a zoot suit, beat them up, would rip their clothes, sometime entirely off, leaving this person naked and Mm -hmm. beaten in the street. They would pee on the clothes or they would burn them. They went into the California theater, which is a couple blocks from the Cecil, and made the manager stop the movie, turn on the lights so they could grab anyone wearing a zoot suit, drag them into the street, beat them, rip off their clothes. If you had a ducktail haircut, like we said, they would cut it off after they beat you in the middle of the street. They went on a rampage through downtown. The cops did nothing. The cops followed the sailors around, but were told to let them do whatever they want and let the military... By who? By their chief. Jesus. Who was the chief at the time in the 40s? I don't know. uh, Hitler? (laughs) Was it Jim Davis? It doesn't matter. It It doesn't. You're right. It doesn't matter. They were told to let the military police deal with them. They kept saying, it's not our job to stop them. Mm, I was just following orders. Yeah. I was just following orders. Don't quote me in four years. (laughs) They were basically escorts for the sailors, but any Mexican kid in a zoot suit that fought back was immediately arrested and blamed for what was happening. What a bad day. (laughs) So you had a bad day, (laughs) but the sailors must have gotten it out of their system and they'll leave people alone now, right? Right. June 5th. This, this night, even more sailors came from the armory, and by now the cops actually were doing something. They were joining them. Off-duty cops were now marching side by side with the sailors beating anyone in a zoot suit. They called themselves the Vengeance Squad. Vengeance against what? Against the crime wave. <laughs> On top of that, since they were cops, they knew where the Pachucos lived, and some of them seemed to have been leading the mobs to the houses, houses of like known a, Pachucos. Like private residence. Yeah. They were stopping the trolley cars in the middle of the street, dragging people in zoot suits off of them, and by by this point, it wasn't even just people who were in zoot suits. It was anyone who was Mexican. And it wasn't even just anyone who was Mexican. It was black people. It was Filipino people, whoever happened to be in their way. Even some white kids were getting beaten. They dragged a black man off the trolley who was coming home from his job at a military defense plant. He was a military defense plant worker in his uniform. They gouged his eye out. Are you serious? They dragged him off a trolley and gouged his oh. eye out. The guy making munitions for them. <laughs> but so much horror and brutality in the streets of LA, certainly the media was outraged. No. Newspapers were praising the sailors as heroes for finally doing something about the Mexican crime wave. The infallible LA Times had a headline that said <laughs> that said zoot suitors learn lesson and fight with servicemen. One paper ran an article on how to de-zoot a zoot suitor properly. Radio stations were broadcasting where they thought the violence was going to take place that night for anyone who might want to join in. And people did. June 6th had an even bigger mob than the night before and now they were expanding out of downtown. 20 taxi drivers offered free rides to the sailors to take them to Boyle Heights where they knew Mexican people lived and the beatings continued there. It must have been a really great week if you were a Nazi. I know. <laughs> like for, the, they have like the, free taxi rides. Yeah, and, and the, the underground Nazi movement that was going on at the same time yeah. probably. Yeah. Yeah. They, hey, Hail Hydra. Uh, <laughs> I learned that in a movie once. But the, One so, of the best movies I've ever seen. So here, these movies, these sailors, these movies, uh, <laughs> these movies are still coming out. But these sailors weren't alone anymore on, by this night. Now, in addition to their off-duty cop partners, now they had civilians who wanted in on the violence, some who came all the way from San Diego and Las Vegas just to beat Mexican people. Now they also had army boys and the Marines coming from Fort MacArthur and El Toro and Orange County joining them. Shouldn't you be dying in Europe right now? <laughs> they were waiting to do that. They 
There was also another group of soldiers roaming the pike in Long Beach looking for anybody in a zoot suit, and that wasn't even the worst night. Here's June 7th. Some 5,000 white soldiers, cops, civilians were roaming the streets of LA looking for minorities to beat. 5,000 people. That's a lot of people. They, they raided the Orpheum looking for people. By this point, the Mexican community was terrified. There were yeah. moms wandering around the streets trying to find their sons. They didn't know where their kids were. They were begging cops not to arrest their sons who were lying beaten on the street. Please don't arrest my kid. Hundreds of them went to jails hoping that their son was in there and not dead somewhere. Some of these kids being beaten were 12 years old. And like I said, a lot of them were dressed in zoot suits just because like their brother or their friend dressed like that. They just thought it looked cool. They didn't know the connotations. They didn't know why this was happening to them. It didn't make sense. On top of that, on the night of the seventh, barely half the victims were actually in zoot suits at this point. It's just, it's just, it's a rampage. Yeah, it's just minority groups. Kids were begging cops to arrest them because at least they'd be safe in jail. Yeah. You can't beat me there. Well, Someone else will, but you won't. Yeah, at Someone least without a club will beat yeah, me. Yeah, it'll be an officially sanctioned uh, <laughs> beating. The Council for Latin American Youth sent a telegram to President Roosevelt begging him to do something. There was also those who fought back. This is the best part of the story. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. One group of zoot suiters went to the military bases themselves to try to stop the soldiers before they even left. The best story, here's the whole thing. Our old friend, Charlotta Bass. Oh, okay. From the California Eagle newspaper. And the grand grand jury. (laughs) Uh, Wait, was it the grand jury or the trial jury? Uh, (laughs) The California Eagle newspaper down on Central Avenue, which we've talked about before. From the start of the rioting, she was printing articles decrying the way the other newspapers in town were framing the narrative here and urged the black community to rise up and stand with the Mexican community. She had caught wind that on the night of the 7th, the white mob was planning to start heading down into South Central and Watts and really target the black community. She contacted the authorities, urging them stop the rioters now because she knew that if a bunch of white people come down into Watts, someone's going to die and it's not going to be a black person. You have to put a stop to this. Nobody did anything. Nobody ever stops anything because bad people rule the world. So instead, (laughs) the Mexican and black community united and met at the intersection of 12th and Central, hid most of their group in alleys and out of sight and left 20 black men in the middle of the street and they waited. Right on cue, a mob of white people started marching down the street towards that intersection. When they got there, 500 black and Mexican men, women, boys, girls, rival gang members, they all came out of the shadows and surrounded the white mob, who, of course, freaked out and tried (laughs) to run. That's when the cops showed up and arrested as many people of color as they could. Some people look back on this as the Battle of 12th Street, which is great. This didn't end the violence. The mob just went to other parts of the town and did the stuff I was describing to you. But because of this, the next day, June 8th, the Navy army ordered the city of LA off limits to all unauthorized military personnel. They even had military police patrolling the streets to arrest any soldiers that they found ignoring the ban. It took the community standing up for yeah. the military. But again, the military... Standing up against the military. Yes, <laughs> to fight the military. Yeah. This wasn't an admission of guilt by the military. They defended the actions of the soldiers, but they claimed they were afraid of the soldiers becoming so rowdy they'd mutiny or something like that. <laughs> I don't know what their reasoning was, but they weren't allowed in LA anymore. Yeah. The city of LA wanted to end too, but not because they they didn't like what was happening. They just realized the Latino community was the workforce they were depending on during the war and they didn't mm. want them damaged. Yeah. <laughs> Don't damage my cogs. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> Even so, that same day, the LA City Council banned zoot suits in Los Angeles. What? They said that they said the zoot suit has become a badge of hoodlamism. We put- As a bunch of people in Navy outfits stand behind them. <laughs> nice uniform. Yeah, boys, you look great. Looking good, boys. We prohibit nudism by an ordinance, and if we can arrest people for being underdressed, we can do so for being overdressed. <laughs> if you were caught wearing a zoot suit in LA, you had to go to jail for 50 days. 
Yeah. On June 9th, there were still a few stray confrontations, but nothing nearly as bad as what had happened a couple days before. And on June 10th, it was pretty much over. In the end, luckily, there were no deaths, but the number of victims seriously injured. It ranges from around 90 to 150 amongst the Latino and minority, as opposed to the 18 soldiers that got hurt. The numbers for arrests range too, but it's estimated that as many as 600 Latinos were taken in during the riots, while a whopping nine soldiers were arrested. The rioting was over in LA, but over the next few weeks, similar incidents incidents broke out in other parts of California, also Texas, Arizona, Chicago, Detroit, New York City. Two guys in Gene Krupa's band were beaten for wearing zoot suits on stage in Philadelphia. Wow, Philly. Always on brand, Philadelphia. (laughs) The general consensus from the rest of the country looking from the outside at what had happened in LA was that people felt the soldiers had acted racistly and this was a bad thing. Eleanor Roosevelt condemned the actions of the soldiers. That's not how the establishment in LA saw it. The LA Times responded to Eleanor Roosevelt's feeling by calling her a communist and <laughs> and say, yeah and saying we like the mexicans and think they like us <laughs> <laughs> and thus La Opinion was born. Um, <laughs> Mayor Fletcher Bowron blamed the riots not on racism, but on juvenile delinquents. Bowron, you're letting me down. I know. Finally, Governor Earl Warren, later of the Warren Report, formed a committee to investigate why all this happened, and they concluded that it was, in fact, racism. With yeah. the, with, <laughs> Turns out racism. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Mm, racism. <laughs> it was racism with the help of its old allies, the LAPD doing nothing to stop anything and yeah. local media coverage fanning the flames. In response, the LA County Board of Supervisors started new human relations committees and made the LAPD start giving training to its officers in a revolutionary new idea to start treating all people as equals. <laughs> I'm glad that, that worked out from the 40s on. No, I'm glad. Problem solved. <laughs> it was all worth it. There was a lot of fear and confusion that that week left in the city. Some suspected the LAPD orchestrated the whole thing to distract people from a cop that was on trial at the time. Wow. But what was confusing still is that this is still referred to as a riot. It's not. There were some people taking advantage of the chaos and looting and mugging and stuff like that, but not many. A riot is an oppressed community venting their rage and frustration at how they're being treated. This wasn't that. This was the majority ganging up and attacking the minority. This Mm -hmm. wasn't a riot. It was crystal knocked on the streets of Los Angeles, which I've explained to you many times. (laughs) You keep saying that sounds delicious and I keep (laughs) having to explain to you what it is. All it did was scare an entire generation of the local Latino community. These families saw what their white neighbors really felt about them and what they were capable of and all they learned was that they were behaving like animals and the authorities gave them permission to do whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. They were being attacked for the way they dressed, exactly how you see people ripping hijabs off Muslim women today. Like It's the same thing. This scared a lot of families into assimilating as quick as they could and they would abandon their culture. No more speaking Spanish. We're we're American now. It was a sad thing, but guess what? That abandoning of the culture led to the rise of the Chicano movement a couple decades later Mm -hmm. and made the community stronger than ever. Very important people learned lessons from the Zoot suit riots because as it turns out even though they weren't in LA at the time Cesar Chavez and Malcolm X were zoot suit kids <laughs> Dolores Huerta was a pachuca and mm-hmm. these riots showed them the country's true colors and once they got a little older they had formed some very strong opinions yeah. about that now excuse me because I've been sitting on my giant oversized chain for the last <laughs> 20 minutes and I can't feel my legs through my helium filled balloon pants <laughs> I've been sitting on my hair for like an hour <laughs> there's ducktails itching me <laughs> so those are the zoot suit riots a horrible horrible another horrible chapter yeah. of, of uh, Los Angeles history. Yeah. Brought to you by <laughs> two <laughs> silly guys. <laughs> I'm glad that we covered that because that's something that is a defining moment in the history of this city and yeah, the history but, of the police department. Yeah, well, I mean, it really was a moment of like, 
Oh, that's who you are. <laughs> that's how you feel. Okay. Yeah, it's disgusting. Like, it really was making me sad and depressed to read all this because yeah. it's the same exact thing that was happening in Germany. Like, we, there's so many times where we've talked about what was going on in Los Angeles and like, this is what the Nazis were yeah. doing. Like, they were doing the same exact thing. Mm-hmm. And we we're like, no, don't ever be like them. Yeah. Anyways, if you're Japanese, you got to go. <laughs> we're going to put you away for a while. They're not Jewish. <laughs> it's different because they're Japanese different. and Mexican and black. And Filipino and uh, <laughs> Italian. <laughs> Mm-hmm. and some Jewish uh, it's really disgusting yeah. it's despicable it's shameful it's, it's I shameful. hate it it's very shameful but hey LA the city uh, she loves, she me. loves me I think I think she loves me uh, she loves me not she loves me if I'm a white sailor or a white cop <laughs> and of course it was the sailors in the stupidest of the military uniforms the, it, <laughs> their Gilligan's hats and their big giant well, they were wearing big giant collars too yeah exactly <laughs> they should have gotten along it is the oh you most, like big collars so do I it's I like most, big collars and I cannot lie <laughs> it's the most flamboyant of the military yeah. uniforms yeah it is uh, if only they had the village people to show them <laughs> the error of their ways like I was saying this is one of the defining moments in the city of a lot of of the Mexican American community of youth culture of the police department like you said a lot of good came out of it eventually but like but in the moment two, it took 20 years yeah at least until people were like how come my family doesn't speak Spanish anymore mm-hmm. how come gangs are so much more aggressive now and clicky yeah. is it because their dads were beat up yeah. by sailors and yeah. no one did anything about it <laughs> I don't know maybe the murder as well and the way you can turn a tragedy and you whip it into a frenzy and then yeah. you create Zoot Suit riots out of that. Yeah. The Watts riots and the LA riots, they all start with small incidents and then it just become larger. Like it's a, it's like a tornado. Uh, it's a, a tornado. A tornado. A tornado. Uh, right. It's like right. a natural disaster. It's like... <laughs> Yeah, and those are all just like stains on this history this very of the city. stained city. Yeah, very stained city. Meanwhile, across town, <laughs> Clark <Redwood>. Gable, <laughs> Casablanca <laughs> is sweeping the nation. It's sad. Yeah. It's really sad. Maybe one of our saddest episodes. Mm-hmm. Probably. Now let's get to our listener question. <laughs> very not sad. For, yeah, so let's put that all of our heads. This one is from the Instagrammer formerly known as Uranga Emilio, now known as a symbol. He turned himself into a symbol. The fan formerly known as Emilio Uranga. Yeah. Two questions. What's the best park in the city? And is this booze? That's <laughs> A callback. Is this booze? Is this is a callback from LA Times episode, yeah, the, actually? No, it's not LA Times. Art. It? It's the nicknames episode. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, because uh, Schuler. Yeah. Is this booze? Yeah, I was. I knew it was in a newspaper. Yeah. I know things. I remember things I do. I don't um, dump out information like Greg. Enough with the facetiousness. What's the best park in the city? I live in Echo Park, and I follow a series of alleyways that lead me to a path that leads to Elysian Park, and Elysian Park is my favorite because yeah, I you do know, love Elysian Park. I do love Elysian Park a lot. It's very beautiful. Dodger Stadium's there. Chavez Ravine was there. The Naval Armory was there. I know all the walking paths. I really love looking over the Five Freeway <laughs> and Frogtown and the and Heights nodding and, approvingly. Mm-hmm. I love Felician Park a lot. It's a very. But is it a park that you hang out in? I mean, I know that oh. I once was in a lowrider parade there. But <laughs> is it a place where you really hang out? Yeah, yeah. That that part where you're in the lowrider parade that that was a that's a place where families meet and they have parties and picnics and okay. stuff. And it's very yeah, I beautiful. Guess, There's yeah. a, and it's a very big park too. It is. I consider that more on par with Griffith Park because it is sort of it's not quite because the place I'm thinking of is more a more contained place oh yeah yeah this is almost more of a wilderness like an urban wilderness than a yeah. park that's why I like it because it is an urban wilderness yeah. like I do I can walk to Chinatown through 
Leisure yeah. Park. <laughs> there's smaller parks within, like there's Leo Lodi Park, which is kind of yeah. in the hills there. There's like a, a little rec center that's near the police academy. There's a lot of paths and, you know, Angel's Point is, is on the other side of the stadium way or whatever. It's a very beautiful park and it's very nice and you can walk around. A lot of families hang out there. It isn't just like a secluded park. Yeah. It's, uh, a, it's a good place for families to meet. Uh, families who live in apartments and they can go and <laughs> have a giant party there. And it's, <laughs> can I tell you one of my favorite stories about my dad going through Elysian Park? I think I know this story, but yeah, for the listener. For the listener. Hear. My dad, when, when he was a kid, went to a Dodger game with his friends and his little brother. So they walk there to the game and they're coming back and they get oh, yeah. recognized from a guy in the neighborhood and they're like, hey, you can't walk through the park at night. You want to get, get in? And they're like, no, 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 no. We, we don't want to. <laughs> like, no, get in. I, I know your dad. I'll take you home. I just don't want you walking the park and it's dangerous. And I'm like, no, no, no. They're like, oh, fine. Get on the hood of my car and I'll drive you to the Echo Park Avenue. And they're like, all right. Uh, so these four kids rode on the hood of a car as the guy was going up and down hills. Like it's death proof. Uh, see, I don't know this story. I thought you were going to tell the story about how your dad saw a guy hanging from a tree. Oh, once yeah. You want to know that story? He didn't, Let's hear that. Tree. Oh, yeah. No, That's he a, didn't see it. But he, it was uh, one he of the guys in a gang. I forgot what he had. There was like a, a murder on top of a murder as a, like a revenge. And they got back. He so, murdered his murdered body. I can't remember the specifics because it's a murder and it's a crime. And I don't know all of it. But uh, one of the guys was left hanging off the path on tree he naked. always said don't leave me hanging that's, yeah that's a disturbing story that's, yeah, that's a, what i always think about when i think about elysian yeah, park is I, your dad's <laughs> childhood trauma well my favorite part <laughs> i don't know if this is my I, maybe i mean i couldn't i don't go to as many parks let's just say what the place is yeah. i really like los encinos park in encino the, you the do, duck pond the duck pond the you one do that like i brought that. about i talked about so many times on this podcast yeah. but it is the perfect kind of because i was thinking about balboa park which is also uh-huh. nice but that's too big and there's so many people there all the time yeah, yeah. but los encinos contained it's contained which i like i manage it's never really that crowded yeah. it's quiet you could just go there and like do whatever you want mm-hmm. yeah oh my god <laughs> yeah it's very quiet and peaceful there and i like that and you can have a party or have lunch or whatever you want there so it gets done what a park is supposed to yeah. do it's just not as crowded okay if you're not talking about wilderness parks there's a park in lincoln heights i think it's plaza de la raza is that the one where we got tejuino no no that's not it that's not lincoln heights that's Boyle oh heights. yeah right that was mariachi plaza that I was think. mariachi plaza yeah. yeah this is a park that in lincoln heights that my grandpa used to take me to and they have like i don't know if it was a kid's area but it was like a pyramid like an aztec temple that's like i think it was a kid's area because i used to so climb play it. sacrifice yeah. but they used to have an alligator farm there i remember hearing about that i wanted hmm. to do i'm not a whole episode on alligator farm but they used to have an Farm Why not? <laughs> um, it's only me. We, we, we pretty much do, do whatever anything. we want. I only have one boss since you. It's more of a 51, 49% thing. Well, you shouldn't have sold me that extra <laughs> share. Uh, I needed the money. <laughs> well, there's other, like, I like Balboa Park, like I said, yeah, but Balboa I also, um, O'Melveny Park in the northern part of the valley, which is kind of more of a wilderness sort of park. Right, I, right. That's a nice park if you are looking to do trails and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like, you can go pretty deep in that place and see areas that are not the city yeah <laughs> lots of trees and then you'll just run into like satanic temples spray yeah. painted on one weird brick wall i remember like, oh. me and my friends in high school you can take a trail like the hills above the north part of the valley you could yeah. take a trail to get all the way to the top and we never like we tried like four times and we never made it all the way to the oh, top because yeah. it was so hard yeah. like we weren't prepared and it's a really long hike and apparently you can like see the ocean from up really? there but i'll never know that's how i feel about the echo mountain trail because i uh, always want to get to the ridge where echo mountain yeah. was and now i know why there was a funicular 
trailer yeah. because yeah, I that's only too big. That I only made it halfway to after like an hour and a half hiking. I'm like, I can't do this. It's hard. It's tight and it's steep. Anyways, that's the best park in the city. <laughs> a third question: What's the hardest, tightest, steepest park in the city? What did I just say? My body, my, uh, <laughs> my abs. If you have a question that you want to submit to us, you can send it to us on our Instagram at yeah. la underscore meekly. You can follow us there as well. Follow us and send questions on Twitter at la meekly. You can email us la.meekly at gmail.com. Mm-hmm. You can also send us requests for episodes, or if you want to be part of a field trip episode, yeah. email us there or contact us any of those ways. Facebook, our Tumblr, lameekly.tumblr.com. We have a YouTube channel as well. Feel free to subscribe to that. You yeah. can listen to all of us It's an easier way to listen to if you don't use iTunes or Stitcher or whatever. And you hate that podcast hey. app. Speaking of iTunes, leave us a review. Oh, why yeah, don't why you? Yeah, give it a try. Oh my seconds, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> leave us a review on iTunes. It helps us out. It makes us look better. It keeps us going. It keeps us getting new fans so we can keep going. It's easy to do. If you have an iPhone, open the podcast app. Just look for us there. Support us on Patreon yes. for as little as $5 a month. We can send you handwritten postcards. You can keep us going financially because we depend on you financially. Mm-hmm. I quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> I need more Patreon subscribers. Uh, Melissa, if you're listening, soon. I was fired. Uh, I didn't quit my job i didn't I quit fired. my job i didn't throw a stack of papers yeah. at rick <laughs> they threw a stack of papers at me and they were severance papers <laughs> i'm not getting a severance package i got a package for them but you give me a severance package i got the longest tautest <laughs> steepest severance package you ever did see yeah so support us in that way any closing thoughts all of this was sad and i can't wait to stop reading about it i know this will be good to it would be good to walk out this door and forget all this <laughs> information i just remember the saddest parts <laughs> well hey, everybody have a good june get ready for the summer stolcis Stolstice. Enjoy your Father's Day if you mm-hmm. have a father or care about your father. Yeah. If you don't, give us money. Yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> That's what you do on Father's Day. <laughs> you, get, you give two people who aren't fathers money. Yeah. <laughs> your your pod fathers. Your pod. Um so <laughs> <laughs> What was that noise? <laughs> oh, Greg supports me. Okay. I'm done. Bye now. Bye now. That's thanks been, for stopping by. Thanks for joining us. That's been yet another episode of LA Meekly comparing the US military to Nazis since 2013. Bye. Bye. Bye.